what you do. And you didn't disappoint. You let five people die. Then you let Dent take your place. Even to a guy like me, that's cold. Where's Dent? Those mob fools want you gone so they can get back to the way things were. But I know the truth. There's no going back. You've changed things. Forever. Then why do you want to kill me? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, no. No. No, you. You complete me. You're garbage. You kills for money. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now. When they don't, they'll cast you out. Like a leper. See, their morals, their code, it's a bad joke. I've dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these, uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. Welcome to the Extra Credits Podcast. My name is Trey. And I'm Kelsey. Today we are talking about The Dark Knight. I can't believe we are here right now talking yeah, about this it movie. it wasn't planned. <laughs> yeah, no, this was random. To join us on this Dark Knight podcast today. I can't believe I'm, I'm seriously saying that. Uh, we have James <laughs> Steck. James, you're back. How I you doing? I am. I'm doing great. I'm so excited. I haven't seen this movie in a few years. Yeah. Um, and I am pumped to watch it with you guys. You were last year on our Spider-Man podcast, so you're becoming right. a frequent co-host of this podcast when it comes to superhero movies. How does that feel? You love Spider-Man and Batman? Oh, yeah. I mean, Batman, Spider-Man, they kind of flip-flop for me between, you know, first and second place for favorite superhero. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's difficult to pick one, but yeah. they are in a continuous battle, so I'm so excited to watch this again. I yeah. think, yeah. They hold, like, different places in your heart because 100 like we talked about on our spider-man pod there's a lot of coming of age traits of spider-man and then batman yeah has a little bit more grittier elements yeah uh, and like a middle age crisis thing going on sure <laughs> that's, that's a little bit less you're a little bit less sympathetic to what bruce is going through than yeah. peter parker and that is an interesting yeah you can pair bruce wayne more to like the villain yeah yeah and 100%, that is yeah. that is definitely the most fascinating part of his character um Okay, before we even get into this movie, the live watch, the deep dive that we're about to do tonight on the, on the Dark Knight, I want to just talk about our relationship, like as a generation, like our millennials, millennial, Gen Z, whatever we are. Like we're all 28, right, James? You're 28? I think so, yeah. yeah. Last time I, I checked. <laughs> Last time you checked. Right. This movie came out when we were basically 14 years old, something like that. Yeah. And I remember people's minds being blown, not yeah. because of some like, maybe for some people like the philosophical ethical dilemmas at the heart of the movie or being confronted with that. You might be, you know, you know, you might be making your own worst enemies as a person in your life. Uh Um, Those ideas are interesting and can be pretentious as you get older. But I think really why we were so kind of, uh, I guess just 
provoked by this movie in an interesting way is because we usually looked at superheroes as these mythological figures that were kind of comical. Yeah. Right. And there were usually more cheesy elements involved. Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And set in like fantastical movies and Christopher Nolan comes along after Memento and I believe uh, Insomnia, Insomnia and then makes Batman Begins, creates this trilogy, the Dark Knight becoming one of the most important movies and now American cinema because of the Marvel industrial complex and what was created in mm. 2008 after this with Iron Man. And our generation is just com- is just kind of completely indoctrinated by the, by the superhero stories. And so I feel like you can't think about people our age without thinking about also their relationship to the ways that these like mythological figures have just kind of invaded our lives. And it starts, I think with Batman and how good this movie was. Right. And and also trying, I think, to bring the mythology of these characters down to our level of reality. Yeah. Uh, because for so long, you know, we look at heroes and superheroes through this kind of like arm's length mm-hmm. distance um, where they're kind of they're they're not really relatable. Yeah. And they're chosen. Mm-hmm. They're destined in certain ways. Yeah. There's a God complex about exactly. some of the superheroes for sure. Right. And so for one of the first times um, in our cinematic viewing experience as, as people were introduced to this character who is struggling, who's flawed, yeah. much like Spider-Man. Um, yeah. And I thought that was, you know, deeply relatable yeah. Um, yeah. in a way that hasn't been in the past. Right. And even though uh, you said Iron Man Trey, and that was another huge like theater experience for me uh, when, uh, you know, yeah. younger, but even the Marvel characters, which we love Marvel, feel a little bit more comic booky. Like you could you yeah. could picture a Tony Stark. They feel like parodies in, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but exactly. And Compared I feel like I, I could see uh, Bruce Wayne, uh, Christian Bale's cr- Bruce Wayne, like yeah. somewhere. Obviously, yeah. probably. I mean, I wouldn't see him on the street, but like yeah. I know <laughs> I know he's part of the 1%. <laughs> well, yeah. So there's there is an element of this movie that is really stuck in... There is realism in this film, but I really think what's special about what Nolan and his brother and some other co-writers did on this trilogy is they created a relatable Batman cinematic universe reality um, that you take seriously because it looks like your world. But some of the dialogue and the decisions that are made and there's just kind of a little bit of distance enough where it almost feels like dream ish. Versus the Matt Reeves Batman interpretation, which is like nightmarish. Mm, And uh, that is a really smart decision by Matt Reeves because there really wasn't much to do after the Ben Affleck Batman verse kind of failed. Not really his fault, but more of kind of, you know, an executive issue. But what is so impressive to me about the Christopher Nolan movies is when you look at the best Marvel films and you think about like Infinity War and Endgame as I think two of the top five, top, top six mcu movies there's a lot of history you need to tell to tell other people that those are some of the best movies in mcu yes. uh-huh. yeah. they're not standalone best you know best movies um in the mcu or best movies of the 21st century but when you think about some of the best standalone movies of the mcu you think about like captain america winter soldier mm-hmm. and you can't disconnect the dark knight's legacy from a movie like captain america winter soldier yeah um and i think that's how impressive this movie is is that it's there are still movies trying to copy it in its own genre, obviously other genres too, but it's just so impressive in that way. And I know from people who are maybe more skeptical of superhero movies and, and this superhero industrial complex, you, you probably understand that 
The Dark Knight is heavily inspired by famous films, and Christopher Nolan loves Hitchcock and Stanley Kubrick, and obviously Michael Mann's Heat. Mm-hmm. And we'll definitely get into that a little bit today. There's right. even some Sidney Lumet's Dog Day Afternoon in this film, yeah, um, which is a ton of fun. But I'm just pointing out that this movie really kind of gives us a window into looking and in, to peek into the next 15 years of film to see what movies, what big blockbusters are trying to copy, and they're really, really trying to copy the dark night. And so our, our generation really kind of, I think has a lens when we judge blockbusters of the dark night. Like when you listen to people like actors, our age, like Chalamet, his favorite mm-hmm. movie is the dark night. Wow. Really? Yeah. And his favorite performance that made him want to be an actor was Heath Ledger as the Joker. Oh my goodness. And he's our age. And so you can kind of see that uh, impact even, you know, he's probably the most famous person in, in acting at least for in their twenties. And so you can you can kind of see the impact it's having on on people our age, which Could is you impressive. See Timmy as the Joker. I think oh, that boy. it would be something. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope that Timmy goes for more subdued roles, like how he did at the beginning of his career. Anything too much is something I'm not really looking forward to. But I mean, I could be wrong. Bones and all was one of his best performances last year from Guadagnino, and that was a little bit extra in moments. So. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was good, but it was still subtle. A subtle performance, no, you're right. You're right. Um, even though he did have his emotional moments, but I don't, I don't know if I could see it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit before we get into this about our first reactions to watching The Dark Knight. Um, this might have been the first IMAX film I ever saw. I was trying to think back about what the first IMAX movies I saw were, hmm. and I think this is the one that uh, my parents. Well, I guess it's kind of hard to talk about this movie without talking about Heath Ledger passing away too, right before the release of the film, right? Um, tragically, and I remember my parents not wanting to go see this movie because of that, uh, because of the kind of like fake news around Heath Ledger and his death and what the Joker character did to him. You ev- listeners can look into that. It's not really much to do with the Joker and more other things, and definitely check that out. But what was interesting about going to this movie is there was already kind of a just this tragic experience of walking to a theater, knowing that you're watching a movie where this artist poured their heart and soul into a role that you're about to kind of experience that critics have been talking about as one of the best performances they've seen in decades. And the movie begins like how we're about to start it. And you hear the loud, I think it's like Dolby sounds coming through the speakers and the IMAX (laughs) and the window breaks. And we're about to get into it. But I remember sitting there as a 14 year old, just completely mind blown. I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. And uh, yeah, like I said, I compared every movie, I think throughout college in my young 20s to The Dark Knight because of that IMAX experience. What was yours like, Kelsey? Do you remember seeing it the first time? Yeah, I remember I was visiting um, family and we all went uh, to the IMAX and I was just like, I, I wasn't really knowing what to expect. I had seen like the Batman movies before. Yeah. Um, and I liked Batman begins obviously um but with this one in particular i would just my i like had my mouth open the whole time yeah. i was like whoa like <laughs> yeah. this is a movie and yes. i think you're right like with the sound obviously um that that comes through it just makes it feel like a really amazing experience which christopher nolan does in a, in a lot of his movies like hit the score mm-hmm. um yeah. I, I remember i have a similar actually not not quite as similar to the dark Knight for inception, but I really had like, Whoa, this is, uh, this is what a movie feels like, right? He is like very much someone who is successful at making blockbusters and making you feel like you're watching something that is a huge cinematic event. Um, obviously the, the dark Knight was something that you're right, Trey, like whether I was consciously doing it or not, I definitely compared movies to this, like the kind of darkness or, 
um, the the grittiness of, of a character. And also Christian Bale's just awesome. I know people will talk about it as we go throughout this, but some the people voice. bump on the voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I absolutely love this movie. Yeah. Yeah. James. It's, uh, I was just thinking how amazing it is. Like we've seen personally, just individually, so many movies, you know, for the first time, you know, and we can't even think back to probably every single film that we've seen in in the theater for the first time. And this Mm -hmm. one so specifically stands out. Um, And I think that's really special. Um, I remember seeing it uh, with my parents. I think it's probably it's opening weekend. I don't remember exactly when it came out Mm -hmm. Um, in 2008. uh, But the theater was packed and we were sitting in, you know, it was before we could reserve seats, you know, you just had to stay in line (laughs) and and wait and hope that you could get a good seat. Um, And we would, I think we sat in like the sixth, fifth or sixth row back from the screen. And so of course our heads were like cocked back, like looking at this massive screen. Yes. (laughs) Um, But you know, Kelsey, what you said about sitting through the experience with just like your mouth open the whole time. Yeah. Um, There was something about the performance of Heath Ledger and the kind of stakes, the philosophical stakes, the ethical stakes um, that were set up so uh, well throughout the entire movie. And the immersion. Um, Because you really, you really get sent there. Immersion of the setting and also the music that helps you emotionally connect to the entire film. Um, it was unlike anything that I had ever seen. And I think for a lot of people also, it, it put the name Christopher Nolan. If you hadn't, if you weren't familiar with Memento or Insomnia, like mm-hmm. you guys said, um, it put that name kind of in the general culture of American filmmaking, I guess. Yeah. I, I know that he's British, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the name in general, uh, connected to storytelling and film, I thought, um, connected for the first time with a lot of audience members. Yeah. It's like, here comes an independent filmmaker who, uh, was an English major did not go. I don't believe went to film school. English majors. Yeah. Shout out all the English majors. Go English majors. And, uh, and he makes, you know, he makes a short, he makes a real feature film, um, following then follows it up with memento and he gets insomnia and then gets Batman begins off of a 15 minute, pitch of trying to make a more grounded universe of Batman and focusing less on selling toys and more on selling an experience to people. And really Christopher Nolan, I think masters in the dark Knight what he now has become so masterful at and making Oppenheimer in the next two weeks or that releasing the next two weeks here in the United States. He's done such a good job of using the blockbuster as a vehicle to explore ideas about the world that are very specific to his vision. And that might be a really basic thing to say about artists, but movies today that are blockbusters are made by 200, 300 people and then have tens of executives looking over them and editing them and having kind of a post choices about what kind of decisions they want to make in the story. And Christopher Nolan getting that kind of freedom at a young age and succeeding in this way really then kind of almost like sets the framework for how blockbusters will be made in the future which is you have studios now trying to invest in auteurs, like trying to find a Nolan figure. Greta Gerwig comes to mind, who just got Barbie, who Mm -hmm. Nolan's one of her heroes, uh, being a younger filmmaker. And, you know, you can see why, because he he really figured out how to uh, understand what maybe this kind of, the universal experience that people want to have when coming to a, a big blockbuster film. And he gives people what they want. He gives them a fun superhero movie that is super engaging and thrilling, but he also lets them go home and talk about the ideas in the movie 
And, you know, that that doesn't work for everyone when it comes to movies like Inception and Interstellar or most recently Tenet. And we get it. You know, Kelsey, we've been rewatching all the Christopher Nolan movies for a massive. We'll talk about it more on the draft. Yeah, we have a movie draft of Christopher Nolan's best movies and we're going to build teams of his best movies with Raiders of the Lost podcast. And that's one of their favorite filmmakers. I'm really excited for that. Yeah, coming up next week. Yeah, that's coming out next week. That's so cool. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And this podcast, The Dark Knight, is actually this deep dive and live watch is going to be Kind of a surprise episode to listeners. We haven't told yeah. anyone about this. Anybody listening in the future, this is this is not something that was like kind of pre-prepared for any of the listeners to get ready for, but I think it'll be exciting for people. Because, yeah, we're like, James is coming over. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so pumped, guys. Yeah. God, I love um, this movie. Should we, should we get going? Yeah. Um, I, I think I want to just tell people. So again, you can listen to this as a deep dive because we'll yes. be talking about the movie as we go here uh, because people have... I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, seen it before, just a heads up, we will be like talking about spoilers. And also we will be kind of talking um, throughout a lot of the scenes since we most likely have all seen it before. Yeah. But if you want to watch along with us, Trey, do you want to give people a countdown to press play? Yeah. What do we decide on? Three, two, one or one, two, three? Uh, I like one, two, three. One, two, three. So it's just a personal preference. Everyone play on three. Okay. So we're at zero seconds on the screen right now. It's a two and a half hour movie. It's going to fly by. We are going to st- start on three. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Okay. Let's right. do it. Here we go. Y'all, when this music. <laughs> Did you mean was- to say it here we I did not mean to do that. It's <laughs> it's that deep in my mind. When this music hit, though, again, when I was 14 in the theater, I was ready. It feels like a roller coaster. It does. <laughs> and I love how legendary they stylize the intro as well. Yeah. With the WB legendary pictures. Well, I don't know if you guys remember the trailers, the marketing. It was like Obama time and all the social media ads were either like Obama ads which were great. And then also Dark Knight ads, which were great. And so I remember those being like back to back a lot on social. <laughs> and we're about to come to the explosion, like the blue fire just forming into the, yes. the bat symbol. It's great. Guys. I'm so excited. Right now. <laughs> we were watching heat last night and uh, I couldn't help but think of this moment. Yeah. The sequence this next like really seven, eight minutes here. Yeah. The, I think it's so effective to have this as like a, a heist at the opening and not just like introduce us to Bruce Wayne or introduce us to a villain. Right. It immediately creates some sort of intrigue. I remember watching this in the theater and just trying to figure out what exactly we were witnessing right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's also Especially the editing they have clown masks, right? Like, yeah. And you know you're in an elevated world. Obviously, it's like a comic book story. But well, yeah. it does if, feel like if okay, you were nerds like you know me, you knew that the movie ended and Batman Begins ended. Sorry, uh, with the Joker card, right? Exactly. So you were right. you were preparing yourself for the Joker, but not to start off the movie. I also and, like how they're talking to each other. Yeah, yeah, Got they've it. got this kind of like. Uh, almost pseudo like New York yeah. accent, you know? Yeah, it's very, it, their dialogue is really comic booky. I know Nolan dialogue is tough. You know, I can yeah. confirm that after rewatching all of his movies. Um, but this works in this trilogy because it is, you know, based off a comic book. I love how also everybody, every 
member of this bank robbing crew has a different mask on. And so it's already setting up just like, you know, distrust among who the villain is and what their motives are. Um, and it forces us to project our own kind of yeah uh, fears, I guess, onto what we're looking at because of the masks, different emotions. Yeah. It, so Nolan is so good with uh, using his team to disorient the audience. Like right. And this heist really is a great way to start off the movie. And the masks are an element of it, of just making you never feel like, wait, so who who's the Joker here? Exactly. Like, yeah. Who exactly is the clown here that I'm supposed to be looking out for? And it really is hard to tell. And you know, I mean, it's, back. it's interesting because they are talking about like Joker and he is someone who has been unseen by them, yes. uh, but they're working for him and they're wearing this mask because Joker is kind of a representation of like anarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so this idea of like everyone wearing the mask and that's sort of something that he's trying to prove to the other um, bosses. Exactly. In the city, the mob right? bosses. Yeah. His unpredictability. But I was like shocked that uh, Joker was in the the this bank robbery the first time I watched it. Yeah, I was too. Here's our boy Kels from uh, Heat, William Fickner, I think. Oh yeah, I was so surprised Armageddon that too. he was shot so early into this film. Um, it made the stakes so much more grounded. No, yeah, you're right. That is not really something I guess we saw in previous Batman films, even Batman Begins, it wasn't yeah. really something that they would start off the movie with or anything like that. It's also, you know, we have to say it, like, Kels, we recently watched the original two um, Tim Burton Batman films, Batman Returns mm-hmm. being an incredible movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I mean that. Wild movie, yeah. But the Schumacher films, the Val Kilmer Batman, George Clooney Batman, that's really what our childhood had to work with. Hmm. And Kelsey, I know you weren't really, I don't, James, I don't know if you were, but I grew up watching those a lot. Those two movies, they were big in my house. Um, I saw them a, a few times, but. So this was kind of mind blowing for me. But the physical performance here from Heath Ledger. Yeah, the body the language moving, is amazing. I I would be, I mean, it's like. It's, I mean, it's, t- it's tough, obviously, to, to say, like, I, I don't necessarily like what people do kind of like deep dives and what Heath Ledger could have been if he didn't pass away, because obviously, first and foremost, he like what had a family. And so, like, that's the first thing you think about when someone passes mm-hmm. like this. But you do look at his, his, his work and you think about the artist and like how much time he spent in making this character come to, li- right. come to life. And you can't help but think with movies that would come that, you know, his name was in kind of post-production uh, interest from executives. His career would have been ridiculous after this movie. Yeah. This face reveal. What doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. It's a great line. This, this, um, it's also the funny thing about Nolan is, is like most of his lines aren't great lines, but they are great lines like that. Yeah. That's a corny line, but it's great the way it's read. Well, that's, Sorry, the way that like, it's delivered. It, yeah. Exactly. What you were saying before Trey, like it, w- the dialogue works in this movie because it's a comic book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a problem. Like we're, when we were watching Tenet, um, even though I know some of seriously. that is kind of supposed to be funny, like maybe there's a, yeah. maybe <laughs> debatable. We'll talk more about it uh, later it on in pods. It feels like very, it feels okay here. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it works. I do want to just talk about when that um, the school bus yeah, leaves when, the bank. Yeah, and the gas releases from the what he thought was his a bomb mouth. in his mouth. That's why I think I always think it's an interesting way for people to love this movie to say it's their favorite Batman movie because it's like if Batman was in the real world. And I'm like, I don't. That's not why I love these movies. It's because Nolan created such a specific universe that like looked resembled our world. But it was comic book enough uh, where I gave it the benefit of the doubt when it made decisions like that, where a bus sure. is breaking out of a bank and then falling in line and nobody yeah. notices. Whereas like Matt Reeves, Batman, I actually think that is probably closer to what I understand our, our <laughs> real world to be of a kind of like stunted young man becoming <laughs> Batman. Well, it's interesting because obviously like Christopher Nolan's uh, characters and a lot of his movies are like wearing suits and... Yeah. Um, they're all hiding themselves in suits. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think like with, uh, with this Batman, uh, Bruce Christian Wayne, Bale. Christian yeah. Bale. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> it's like Chris Nolan, Christian Bale. Uh, he has like this kind of suaveness that Christopher Nolan brings to all his characters. And it is cool to see him like hide this, this image, um, behind his suit and bes- yeah. behind his like money and wealth here. Yeah. Um, where what you're talking about before with like what were you, what were you talking about before <laughs> with Batman with the dialogue no with um you were saying something about the oh oh with Robert Pattinson yeah uh, you were saying like he is a stunted kind of Batman yeah, I think yeah. where people were like whoa this is a cool Batman and this is a realistic Batman I think obviously like with time people have been like Christian Bale's Batman is still like a stunted. Batman. Oh yeah. yeah. Does that He's make sense? A, sure. Isolated weirdo for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Alfred half of like four hours worth of this movies, all three of this, this trilogy is just trying to get him to go outside. Yeah. Just like, please <laughs> talk to other people. I was so, this is bringing back so many memories from the first time I saw this in theater. I was so confused when this Batman, this faux Batman. Yeah. Came yeah. on screen. I was like, he's got a gun now. What's going on? It's a tough look for the scarecrow. You know, Killing Murphy's out here. He's the the main villain of the first movie, sort of, Ra's al Ghul. Um, but second movie, he's like making deals. <laughs> like just kind of like with a few dudes in an alley. <laughs> <laughs> tough look. How do we, what do you think of the back card? Do you like the idea of Chris Nolan using the military, military industrial complex as a way for Batman or Bruce Wayne to get his, his weapons and technology and the kind of I think that contradiction it, that creates. I think that it makes sense given Bruce Wayne's resources and wealth yeah. for him to access such technology. Um, so yeah. I don't know if there is a deliberate message there. Um, yeah. Rather than it helps the characterization of, batman in this universe yeah we'll we'll probably wait throughout this movie to get more into the politics right. or the motivations of the nolans of writing this script but ooh, um ooh, tough look back problems i get it hit by a pillar what are you gonna do i thought this moment was, was so freaking cool yeah it was sick it is sick. him jumping off this uh, yeah. to land on the car <laughs> not subtle but we appreciate you 
Killian Murphy. Love him, yeah. Out here playing role characters in Christopher Nolan movies and finally gets a star as Oppenheimer. <laughs> Generational wealth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Oldman, huh? Or as, or as like we like to refer to him as uh, Sirius Black. For people right, who exactly. yeah. weren't listening just then, the guy asked, what's the difference between you and me? And he said, I'm not wearing ho- hockey pads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't, we have to remember for people who are doing the deep dive. Yes, thank you. I do have to remember that because it's going to be an interesting experience to listen to this for deep dives because we are going to get into this movie. So this is a good idea to, to listen to it like that. Uh, so we're looking at something low-key about this movie, the lighting... So we learned that Christopher Nolan is a little colorblind. Oh, yeah, I understand. I didn't know that. And it makes sense to why a lot of his colors can sometimes feel muted. Yeah. And a little little dull too. You could say his color palette, like there's, there's a little bit kind of like a, he might, we thought maybe he was a little bit, maybe of a thematic choice, but it seems like it was more of a real realistic choice to like the way he, I guess, but it does also make thematic sense for a lot of these colors to be darker and muted and mm-hmm. yeah a bit I mean, cooler so I, mean, I imagine he's not the only one watching this so i don't know how no much yeah well we his his cinematographers obviously that. have like a lot to do with the color palette but yeah it's it's interesting to think about it like that um so michael kane as alfred you see, wait, Michael Caine just like bring, uh, pretty great, yeah, it's bring great. Bruce Wayne breakfast, and like Bruce was already gone. Yeah, he was like, I mean, it's this dude, sad. I already, I've literally made him breakfast. Now it just goes to waste. I might pivot. I'm not. Sometimes when Alfred's talking to Bruce Wayne, I'm like, you, you got a lot of freedom there, my guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying some shit. Like I'm not sure <laughs> that would fly, uh, but. Like I think if Bruce was a little bit less reasonable, I would make it would make sense the way Alfred talks to him. But like the way that <laughs> Christian Bale plays Bruce is like he's so rational. Yes, even though he's not as a character, but Christian Bale is playing it so straight. Like that's why I loved the Robert Pattinson the writing of the scene where we first meet Robert Pattinson's Batman and Alfred because the way their dynamic Pattinson talks to Alfred is, yeah. as is as a child and then you then sympathize with alfred being kind of a jerk back yes to bruce i i feel like it would make sense for bruce to have like a doctor on like his on his staff team. like I, I can't just imagine he's stitching himself up all the time like taking x-rays he's had to like break some bones well, I'm well pretty, i guess I, he's i guess he might have youtube but alfred's backstory is that he was a part of the <laughs> british YouTube. intelligence he was a doctor. Oh, so right. he, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he's also, well, Bruce Wayne's also super, yeah, I guess he has to be very distrusting. And so he has to be extremely isolated. So any leak of information on, you know, what he does uh, is not worth the risk. I feel like he's like letting, letting out to some people though. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, I'll risk it all for Rachel. Oh, speaking of Rachel. Speaking of Rachel. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Do you want two minutes to talk about Maggie Gyllenhaal? (laughs) I love Maggie Gyllenhaal. She is one of our faves. Yeah. Mona Lisa Smile. She's great in that. Yeah. A lot of people, I I guess, just, uh, I didn't know this, but people don't really love her in the role. Um, In this role? Yeah. Oh, wow. I I don't know. Katie Holmes, that was tough. Yeah. Uh, She didn't get a lot of great stuff to do. Christopher Nolan 
Not a great writer of woman. Yeah. Confirmed. Yeah, yeah there's for sure. Not many um, women in like his movie. I mean, that's not true. There are people like who are usually, they're usually dead. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're they're, they're usually they're there dead, to yeah. <laughs> add characterization for the male figure in his movie. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He definitely kind of exploits that stereotype. But I would say that, I mean, for a, a lot of people who do love Maggie Gyllenhaal in here like we do, she has a lot of gravity here. Um, yeah. I, I think just as an actor, I she adds more buy-in to this world of like uh, it being a realistic Gotham. Yes, I agree. And I think she has great chemistry with Aaron Eck- Eckhart. Loki. It's not really talked about yeah. a lot when I hear reviews or read things, but I actually really believe in their kind of like delusional belief that they can fix Gotham through what their idea of justice is in the court system. Like, yeah. I think that that's a fascinating, they're two characters. I think gravity is the right word that do kind of bring this world closer to our world. than some of even like the, you know, the, the filmmaking does these performances are essential to this movie. Corny scene, but it works. Right. Well, it shows how passionate and direct um, Harvey is. Yeah. What did he say? He was like, if you want to... you Buy American. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I missed it right there when he grabbed the gun. Yeah. Two words no one has ever said. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> okay um this will be a fun pod let's see so i i love (laughs) i love harvey dent's office because there's just so many unread files everywhere yeah just uh, (laughs) in the shelves and the boxes yeah it's supposed to be like he's out there doing it you know but like i'm like this guy's just also like really unorganized pretty disorganized (laughs) that chair though great chair the the chair that jim gordon has to pull up not that one (laughs) the other one yeah but that is funny that's But actually, now that I think about it, like Maggie Gyllenhaal's character is doing a lot of the work because she does feel like kind of mature. And I'm like the fact that she would be interested in either Bruce or in uh, Harvey. I'm like, it gives them a little bit more credibility. <laughs> and so, I really. Yeah, she's that. so grounded and kind of cautious about how she yeah. approaches. There, There is something on Maggie Gyllenhaal, though. I think a, a reason why she gets cast a lot is because she has this uh, lived in face that she she she's been through some things and she's came out and got through it hopefully (laughs) but she has that kind of she that's her performance often is that she's been through some stuff and she's seen some stuff and i do i don't think that fits in batman lore okay for that character but she brings another element to this movie that i think is key because of the end of the film right and for you to Mm -hmm. care about what happens Mm -hmm. uh whereas if katie holmes was killed which you know no offense katie holmes good actress in her own right but like uh, the way she was written in the first film was so poor. I don't think yeah. we would have cared as much because of that first film. I it almost feels right. like she's a different character. Tough. And as Batman fans, we already have a relationship to the idea of Batman having multiple women he's involved with, like the Michael Keaton Batman having Vicky Vale and right. then obviously Catwoman. Yeah, that was a that was tough. And I'm sorry, rewatching that. Uh, that was just. So what what did we just learn there? So Harvey Dent just learned that Harvey Dent was talking to uh, Jim Gordon that yeah. he has a relationship with Batman. Yes. Okay, I got it. He's like, I want in, basically, and Bruce is sleeping at the the meeting. He is slumped. Yeah. 
And now we have, what's this guy's name again? Mr. Reese. Yeah. Um, The kind of B version of the Riddler. He's trying to undermine Bruce Wayne's credibility in the company. Disgruntled employee. Is that what it said? No. Oh. <laughs> I was like, that's hilarious. Tough look for my guy. <laughs> Whoever is playing that Reese. It's crazy how unnecessary Morgan Freeman's character is in this movie, but how more important it comes it becomes in American cinema that Morgan Freeman is in this film. Mm. Like Lucius Fox is an important character in terms of being like the cue of Batman. Right. Like yeah. Having yes, weapons that's a and everything for him. Good comparison. But like Morgan Freeman, I feel like shows up uh, three times in the dark Knight and dark Knight rises. And it's nice to see him, uh, but there's not much for him to do, but the movies become like, you kind of need him now because you he is do. such an important part. Well, yeah, exactly. By the end of the film, he introduces, at least for the audience, it allows us to connect surveillance. to his kind of thoughts on surveillance. He's like a surrogate um, for the audience. And in a way. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it forces us to question, is this right or not? Yeah, that's a good point. I love this scene. I just, I like how they set up at the beginning, like the comparison between Bruce and Harvey. Cause Harvey's like, oh, I had to pull some uh, strings to get in this like nice restaurant right. for you. And then Bruce like <laughs> waltzes in. He's like, I bought the restaurant. Yeah. The dark night and the white night. I think that's what oh, they yeah. refer to them as. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I, uh, I love the idea of Bruce, like kind of, playing this prick like i like how bruce Wayne is playing bruce wayne mm-hmm. the idea of bruce wayne yeah how people like christian expect bale, him to react and behave christian bale really doesn't get enough credit for this performance because often he's not talked about a lot when you talk about the dark knight you talk about heath ledger but he really is playing like three or four different performances in this movie this is an important conversation uh to kind of also set up what is happening in this movie where Natasha is saying like, we need people like you, Harvey, like people who are willing to put their face out there and make change in the city. And that Batman is just this masked vigilante. So, and then we have the, the famous line coming up. Right. From Harvey. Either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. It's a great line. Yeah. yeah, it's this. It introduces this question between institutional change versus individual um, autonomy and individual change and and vigilantism. I guess. Yeah, I think it's also a pretty funny moment for a British filmmaker with a lot of international crew to kind of make a movie that is so important to American audiences, right? About the fallacy of American democracy and the DA had a DA like talking about like Cincinnati and like Roman democracy and being in like trying to make a comparison and, and think and basically saying democracy doesn't work and how sometimes you need to appoint one man to take mm. care of a country's problems. But the irony is that he's in, in charge of the most important institution that can maybe uh, try to find some kind of order in the chaos, whether that's good or bad. And I think that that is a really interesting choice to show somebody who's supposed to be kind of like the embodiment of democracy, not believe in it. Uh, That was just kind of a subtle moment there uh, that I've really never thought about until we had to talk about it out loud on microphones. Yeah. And then also (laughs) Um, we have like Harvey, you know, trying to make change, but then like Bruce actually only being the one to have the resources to like put him in a position. Yeah, exactly. Like funding, right? Yeah, right. 
Um, okay, we are about to come up to so one of the this cross cutting right here is iconic like scenes. Some of Nolan and, and I think Lee Smith, I think that's his name, is one of the most iconic. I think elements to his movies. Um, this is probably the best scene of the film so far. To me, I so this is where opening's really important. In the, but the kitchen underground conference yes, thank call. You, yeah. With the mob bosses. Yes. And we're cross-cutting to Lau is talking Jim to them Gordon on a, and the a TV the size of a microwave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tough time, 2008. That was like a $700 TV you're looking at right there. And Here Jim we Gordon's go. realizing he was too late. Okay. The Joker's walking in. He, right he, now. Ha, ha. With Ooh, him ha, just ha, laughing. Ha, ha. Oh, my goodness. The way he sticks his neck out and has yeah, his shoulders up. Yeah, shoulders up. are leaning. Yeah. The pencil. Oh, my God. So what do we say? Like, obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably know he did his own, like, makeup and helped try to figure out the wardrobe and made this character come to alive and, and add a lot to the dialogue, too. So, like, just one of the most important performances to get people in the movie theater in the first place. Yes. Um. And to come off Brokeback Mountain, which is why Christopher Nolan asked Heath to become the Joker, uh, is pretty iconic for, for a career move to go from Brokeback to this. And the interesting thing is, like, he's actually really scary. <laughs> like, he's yeah, he's horrifying. He's scaring the, the, he, the like, scariest no guys of Gotham. Yeah. yeah. Let's wind the clocks back. Did this guy just say that we're in therapy right now? <laughs> Got to kill this guy. That's what they heard. <laughs> Not me. Yeah. He's just the perfect foil, not only for Batman, you know, for visually obvious reasons, philosophical reasons, um, but even these... Uh, criminals they're all dressed in clean suits they all yeah. look um, you know well put together and here he strolls in this agent of sheer kind of unpredictable unpredictable anarchy um, yeah painted with vibrant colors which is the complete opposite yeah no that's a good point I I really like to think of the Joker as just like a as as a character that is supposed to represent like a clear understanding of the contradictions that humans play, whether they are making poor decisions, life or good and right. hiding behind constructs. And like that is using him as a way to kind of deliver that anarchy to, to Gotham is so smart. Um, let's not blow this out of proportion. <laughs> when he says, yeah, when he's like, you just get away with this. He's like, yeah, that always kills me. Why don't you give me a call? <laughs> Joker card. Uh, you know what? Um, Christopher Nolan uses the like card call in prestige. Also, oh, you're right. He, um, uh, uh, Michael Caine puts it under Hugh Jackman's uh, cup to like have him know that he, he needs to talk to him. Good call. And also, you know, like 
a lot of it's so funny because uh like prestige there's a lot of elements crossed over from his career of like living the act <laughs> the prestige is christopher nolan's most important film i can spoil that now i think it, it I think, is yeah yeah maybe. we'll get we'll get into why that is on later pods this Batman's is such a funny, such a funny image watching yeah, Batman is watching Jim Gordon conversation. He's just Batman's just like like standing there. He's staring. Standing so awkwardly, <laughs> staring at Jim Gordon and Harvey Dent arguing about Lau. So Batman has to get Lau. Yeah, it's my least favorite subplot of this film. Is the Lao but it's Chinese one of the coolest extradition. scenes exactly? It's the inherent problem with making a blockbuster is that you have to show a cool scene to get people to go ooh and ah, mm. and then hit them with some kind of like, "Is this okay?" Right question to do this in the first place. Unless your movie is called Top Gun Maverick, then it's chill. I'm just gonna continue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna continuously throw that out there, Maverick. Uh, All right, so here's like the military technology right the basement underbelly of wayne enterprises love the way you set that up i guess tony stark and bruce wayne are actually more similar than i yeah yeah I they're about i usually think about pretty um, i mean yeah both lost parents both are trying to deal with that trauma playboys are, but sort of not really like playing into that idea of a playboy. yeah exactly So do we think Morgan Freeman thinks Bruce Wayne is crazy? <laughs> like what do, what do you think his opinions well, are? Well, he knows uh, he knows he's Batman. I think obviously. he is a good idea. Yeah. I think I think he knows. But I'm just thinking like Lucius must just like realistically he's like ah like I'm know. getting he's like I got some like he gave me stake in the company. Well, well yeah, what's his I'm face thinking got fired like, well, last movie. I'm paid, you know, half a million dollars. Yeah. I'm just going to do what he tells me. So right now, Christian Bale is trying to ruin Harvey Dent's love life with Rachel Dawes because Christian Bale is still in the mind of his 13-year-old self. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty rough. Uh, Yeah. uh, And ruining potential marriages. And then taking the ballet on a cruise in the, where are we? The ballet they're supposed to see. I don't know where we are. This looks very tenant right now. When do we want to have the uh, Christian Bale conversation? Is he the best actor of our generation? Or would you guys say that that's not our generation, but like of our lifetime, like so far, like that we've seen in movies? Or is that Leo? Denzel? Uh, that's a, oh I mean, God, that's what a, a tough question. question to like. Yeah, I don't I'm going to have to think, just on think that. about it, guys. One of the best, I, I would say. Yeah, I think I mean, I, he is in a lot of ensemble movies. Yeah. Yeah. But I anytime he's on the screen, I'm in. Dickie Dickie Eklund, the fighter. Oh yeah. great, great movie. So right now we have the Joker, I think it's and I think it's is it Michael J. White? I forget his name. And now we're getting to the tryouts where Joker had someone bring him in because there's like a cash prize right to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they thought he was dead. 
And he does this first like story, yeah, which about... we hear different versions of, of how he got his scars. This one, right, is about his dad. He was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and... Yeah. Oh, no, that's the second one, that, right? This one is. No, yeah, this is it. That Horribly his dad traumatic his story. Mom, like abused his mom. Yes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And it kind of, it you know, parallels the beginning of the film with the multiple clown faces. Every story he tells is a different face. Um, and we just don't know who he is. Right. So that's the most interesting part of the Joker and why the Todd Phillips Joker movie, while a good film, and we'll talk about it one day, um, is interesting to give an origin story to a character that it's so important to not give an exact origin story to. Because I think the most interesting theory about Heath Ledger's Joker is that he is a veteran of probably like early 2000s war, like Afghanistan, Iraq. And there has been like a lot of kind of people, people trying to find images of the ways that he's had like uh, the way he moves or fights or even like just trying mm-hmm. to be a, an, an ex Marine possibly would be interesting. And, but that's just one interpretation or one idea interesting of what kind of person he was before the Joker um, or prisoner of war possibly, which would be interesting. But I, I think there's the more basic I think understanding of the character would be what we saw from Jack Nicholson is that he was like burned in like a toxic waste plant or something like that. Yeah, the classic comic book. But we see later in the movie, I think, is that he actually, he's been painting himself with makeup. So he just has these scars Mm -hmm. across his face that he could have given himself for all we know. Yep. Um, But yeah, it is interesting to think about how they can toy with his history in this movie. And you really never know. And they have different stories to tell. Yeah, I think it's more effective. Uh, and also I, I just wanted to like bring up that tryout scene again before we go into the rest of this, because when he dropped that, that broken pool stick and said like tryouts, make it fast. I felt like it was so dark seeing it yeah. for the first time. Oh I was God, like, whoa, yeah. okay. And if, and I mean, this is pretty early into the movie here. Oh, shout out birdcage in the back prestige. Nice. Kelsey. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm just looking for all the I've details. I've never noticed that before. I love how he, uh, so they asked him right when he walked in, like to drop his cell phone and he did. And there's no like second, just like check for a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's like, there's like (laughs) just one and done. We trust you. Yeah. But it's like such a huge deal that they, people don't bring in cell phones. This is the most unconvincing part of the movie though, to me, kind of just like shows him the phone again. Yeah. This like tech, mogul east asian empire like chinese empire that is working with this crime mob boss like right it's just it's a tough tough part of the movie that of course gives us the cool scene and it's quick well i think also making like the world the building a huge cool world of going to a different location might be a part of it no i agree and also this movie's got to sell globally so like you want it to sell overseas yeah a big part of it um, but I agree, Kels, like the idea of Batman being everywhere yeah. as part of Gotham. But I actually think that that is kind of a crazy, I would assume some executive was like, do we really want to take off like Batman out of Gotham? Because once I mean, we even do Batman that, needs vacation, people have, you know, <laughs> look at him taking yeah, pictures. He, he, he What's he going to do with those jump pictures? Off look at him later. This is the most mission impossible part of the movie though. Batman's on top Fly of a around. large building that I'm sure is very famous. This is the most 
man bat moment. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have played Arkham Knight. You know I have. No, <laughs> I have not. Of there course. are times where you're flying around that city and you'll uh, grapple onto a building and try to get onto the roof and the villain man bat will do a jump scare on you and it's quite terrifying. Yeah, I... I uh... I don't play video games that much anymore, um, but I remember playing that and that coming up on the algo and it scared me on YouTube once because <laughs> that is how it happens. It's like a jump scare. Um, okay. Yeah. So this technology shut everything down. So we've not learned about this tech capability yet, right? Like the idea that Bruce is going to have the option to be able to kind of peer into people's lives. Through tech, because that's what they're using. Yeah, right now. I mean, they're he's using to what they sonar, use. I guess, in a way. Yeah, Lucius through, just like showed him. That's what we were introduced to it. But you mean in like Batman Begins? No, we didn't have the technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something interesting about Batman Begins, while it's a great movie, there's been a lot of like talk about reclaiming it as the best in the trilogy. Interesting. And yeah, James, have you been? You probably are not hip to that because I guess you're not on social like that for film Twitter or anything yeah. like that. Or but TikTok I think or like I didn't Ra's know that they were trying to recla- I don't know who they, they is exactly but <laughs> just the film Twitter. I guess it's, Twitter. it's anecdotal but but I think also some people like really like revisiting it loved it um, as a, a first movie especially but it's saying that it's like the best of the trilogy. I, the reason I love The Dark Knight the most is because Ra's al Ghul still feels like heightened to me like he feels like a storybook villain right yeah with uh, Liam Neeson's if character you'll, well, well it just made me think of kind of how the prequel trilogy in Star Wars mm. gained a lot of hype you know years after it came out specifically after, Revenge of the Sith 100% that's a really good comparison um, yeah. where people go back and realize some kind of nostalgia that they missed um, that they connected you know part of their kind of identity too, in, in some way. So, um, and maybe Batman begins kind of fills that gap for a lot of people retrospectively. I don't know. I think it's probably like even us giving voice to it right now is probably just not healthy. I think it's probably like clickbait culture of people trying to become famous very quickly in very specific bro culture, but like <laughs> circles where I could see that you take a star Wars movie. That's kind of badass on the surface, like revenge of the Sith. Yep. And it can becoming spoiler alert, Darth Vader. <laughs> And you go, you know what? Might be the best one of the trilogy. Might be one of the best Star Wars films. Mm. And then Batman Begins, a movie that kind of created the gritty superhero world. Right. Being like, you know what? Maybe better than Dark Knight Rises. Um, and you just Are you mean Dark Knight? No, Dark Knight Rises. I don't think there are many people saying it's better than Dark Knight. Oh, okay. I mean, again, I don't know what that means. But like, I haven't seen that too much. But I've definitely seen Dark Knight Rises. Uh, but I just think people underrate Dark Knight Rises relative to Batman Begins. I think people have to remember what Dark Knight Rises had to had to do after Heath Ledger passed too. What that movie was able to do after a massive mm. uh, loss like yeah. that is pretty serious, like seriously impressive. Um, and the screenwriting specifically and how they were able to kind of still build stakes in the world even though something tragic happened. Yeah, that's true. Also, you could never hear Tom Hardy's voice again. That's true. Just regularly. No, you just only hear he he hasa hasa. Like in Dunkirk, which we were watching before. (laughs) (laughs) And you just, I was like Bane in a plane, you know. Bane in a plane. 
Uh, Christopher Nolan be, owes Tom Hardy one movie where that he could gets be a satire. Yeah. <laughs> Is this his lawyer right here? Uh, I think so. Okay, so they're trying to right now. Uh, Rachel and Harvey are trying to make it so Lau can find out a way to get everyone on trial. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank, Kelsey, thank you for being here for the people who are deep diving <laughs> and not live watching. I appreciate that because I keep forgetting. Uh, we can charge them with. This is tough for Maggie Gyllenhaal right here because I'm. This is a this is a tough scene for her, like her not knowing that law, like the stipulation sure, and yeah. like, but and uh, Harvey knowing and the way she comes back in, it's like I know she doesn't believe in like the fact that her character didn't know that. So. Little, little racism from Christopher Nolan. It's all right. Mm, yeah, that wasn't great. <laughs> Tough. I mean, that's the whole the whole East Asian thing is what I was commenting on earlier. It's like the the secret Chinese empire that's working in with the mob bosses of New York City, Chicago, Gotham City, whatever. Mm. Um, but again, how self aware and sentient is Chris Nolan is going to be a question that we're going to unpack in the Christopher Nolan movie yeah. draft because I think that we can talk about it today. Um, on this pod, but it is interesting to see whether or not Christopher Nolan is satirizing American audiences, Oh yeah, which I feel some type of way about. And I've never really talked about it on the podcast. Maybe I've mentioned it once or twice, but not really dive too much into it about yeah, you how many British it. filmmakers yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, it's tough. I might've talked about it in the Spider-Man pod, but no, I think you, you, well, we recently watched Dunkirk. Yes. Um, yeah, 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 and yeah. you brought it up. Yeah. So, I do think that Christopher Nolan is maybe exploiting an American ignorance uh, and trying to kind of, it does feel a little bit like in this, the pretension kind of part of it, like teaching us a lesson uh, from overseas. Right. And I do unfortunately think the lesson is usually necessary, even though there is like a small, tiny patriotic bone in my body, which is like, let's get an American <laughs> Batman in here, an American <laughs> filmmaker to really tell us what's up. Like, even when Matt Reeves casted Robert Pattinson, who's probably my favorite actor, I was like, we're never going to get an American Batman. Batman in New York City, Gotham. I don't count Ben Ben Affleck. Sorry. My (laughs) Ben Affleck people out there. Although he is as American as gets, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, it is unclear with the dialogue. It's something that we'll talk about with, like, Tenet also. Yeah whether he like is it, yeah satirizing something or it's just like it like or if it is a straightforward dialogue yeah so this is a good example actually harvey dent is talking to the mayor as the mayor i think so he's or is the that the, the da i always forget i think it's the mayor he's talking to the mayor and he's saying that like we need all these mob these guys the mob boss is gone even though what we're doing is probably overstepping you know what's allowed in the law and Harvey just told the mayor, we'll have 18 months of clean streets. And now a body drops into the window. That moment made which me a, jump. Which is a great jump scare. Uh, when I first saw that in the theater. Christopher Nolan, one of his favorite movies is uh, Alien. That was that really had big wow. xenomorph vibes. Um, what I was going to say was, again, the idea that Harvey Dent is saying, if you do this, we'll have 18 months of clean streets. But what he... The character, what he's supposed to kind of have a similar flaw to Batman there, which is that 
he doesn't realize he's probably going to be creating more crime by having these mass incarcerations happening across the city and maybe creating more chaos and anarchy. Mm. And that is where I can't tell how sentient the Nolan is the Nolan of it all, like <laughs> the critique on institutions or using them as a way to kind of tell a hero story. It's interesting. So this he, clip is disturbing. So Heath Ledger actually directed these clips oh, really, wow. of, uh, so for listeners, there is a man tied up in a room and in a Batman costume, Heath Ledger, you probably remember this is recording him and that's on the, it's on the news, news. GCN. Yeah. Gotham City Network, I guess. Nice. Yes. And uh, so Heath Ledger taped a bunch of these with this actor and sent them all to Chris Nolan. And he used the first one, apparently. That's terrifying. Terrifying for that actor, probably. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, he's like in a meat locker. Yeah. Yeah. It was that shot on an iPhone? It's great cinematography from Heath. Actually, 2008. I'm wondering how I got that selfie. The way he turned it around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Filmed on an iPhone. <laughs> the laugh is really great. Kels, yeah. you know, I almost really forgot. Dark. Did, we said this. I, th- I don't actually think we brought this up, but watching Jack Nicholson again before we're watching this movie and seeing the 89 Batman for the first time in like a decade, probably, I realized how much there's so much from that movie in this movie in this like film, even yeah. jack nicholson remember when he takes over the the news just like we just saw yes. except he does like a commercial for the joker products um and then he is basically like poisoning everyone it, yes exactly yeah. Where, Our, listeners go back and watch this first yeah, two burton films there's so much taken from that except it's just obviously darker here where uh the joker is taking the news hijacking the news but torturing someone yeah. All right. Now we're at this high class, fancy party with very fancy the donors for Harvey Dent's political career. That I guess Bruce Bruce is, Wayne is landing in a helicopter, surrounded by the La La Land actresses. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Damien did a number on this movie. Yeah, they're the only people wearing color. That's so funny. Long time listeners being like, "Great, got to bring up Chazelle on this." Um. Yeah, this is, again, Christian Bale just playing Bruce Wayne so well. Yeah. And, I mean, just, I'm, I'm sure we've said it before, too. Again, I, I don't like to repeat myself too much on these live watches. It's hard not to, but, like, Christian Bale, really attractive. Yeah. Like, really good looking. Uh, very beautiful face. It is insane. And great hair. Incredible hair. Uh, Christopher Nolan definitely cast him because of the hair. But... Uh, is it not a wig? That's a great question. I think Aaron Eckhart looks like it's closer to a wig. I feel like I, so does uh, so you, does Christian Bale's right there. It's like a so? really so smooth. I, I will say that in most Christopher Nolan movies, the actors you can always tell by the not necessarily the front of their hair, but the back. If it looks like the lower back can lift up, you see the lower back of his hair. This is very this is very specific. I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like covering but his collar. Home, it looks like you might be able to pick it up from <laughs> right. the back. Yeah. Usually, that means it is a wig. But there is a similar product. I think they always put in the male figures in Christopher mm. Nolan movies because their hair always looks. I mean, it might be a similar. It stylist. looks perfect. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I don't. I, it's definitely something I'll look up. I think now that I 
have I know what the Marvel wigs look like too. I can't unsee them when yeah, I watch the Marvel movies. You can't unsee the Chris Evans yeah. wig and beard thing. Yeah. yeah. James, have you seen American Psycho? Yep. I okay. Have. Isn't it wild that a filmmaker watched American Psycho and was like, that's Batman? You have to be, you have to be self-aware to make that kind I of... I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, Christian Bale does such a good job playing a empty shell of a person. Yeah. Um, and his face is so interesting to look at. It's so angular and, and yeah. kind of looks like mm-hmm. a bat. It's weird. Um, <laughs> and, you know, his dark features help that also. But I think he probably saw sorry i'm like getting immersed into the no i know <laughs> to the film just so li- li- yeah. listeners, know, listeners know basically this is the sequence in which they are worried uh, the police are worried that the key figures in gotham from uh the judge of the big case of all the crime bosses to other judges i think too i think also like chief of police the, thank you chief of police they're, they're all about to be killed and so they're sending cops to their homes try to get them to safety yep i think just a a little bit more on the american psycho of it all um even though when christian bale says like you know harvey dent gives me uh optimism like you can just tell that he's acting and performing and i think like he is perfect for for this role in that way and he feels like so cold Yes. And and stunted like kind of what how we were talking about earlier. Yeah. But he still feels like a functioning person that can yeah, actually he, go to, exactly. do these things at night. He's like very He detached. knows what a person should be doing and he's like acting it out. Yeah. It's so weird. Do they show a lot of cops and lawyers like have whiskey in their drawers? Yeah, what's that about? They're all just drinking and determining the you know, law of a person's behavior it's fascinating it's yeah. a little rough i'm pretty sure a teacher would get like 20 at least <laughs> <laughs> the very least oh so though so we just Chief had police. harvey get kind of denied uh Har- oh and rachel doesn't have an oh answer. my god oh, choke let's go guys and this movie gets so good from come here. with me okay so if you want Christian to Bale just Wayne. took harvey uh, Choked he him passed out. out, yeah, to safety. Maybe not necessary, guys. This is the sequence in which the movie shit turns is going down. Yeah, everyone just dies. The music is picking up from Hans Zimmer. the The Joker goons are in the elevator the coming out. We made it. <laughs> I remember so seeing this in the theater with my parents. Whatever for whatever Frightening. reason. Good evening. My dad just thought this scene was hilarious. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) He was laughing the whole time. Yeah, it'd be so interesting to watch this for the first time in my 40s. That would be. I mean, I love how he like takes the the appetizer and just drinks it. Dumps it out. Well, it's an interesting parallel because earlier in the party, Bruce Wayne goes to that balcony, dumps the champagne out over the balcony. Good pickup. I didn't even see that. Um, Good pickup. And so they both obviously don't care about the kind of superficial materialistic aspects of being a human. Yeah. They're also very Um, driven. And they're just mission of mind. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) To save gotham yeah and whatever philosophy joker watched the matrix a little bit too much (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm not intimidated by thugs. You know, you remind me the of... way that he just like looks at him. Yeah, you remind like, me of my father. Me? He's still chewing. Yeah, the olive or whatever. Yeah, that's a really funny way to to explore dad problems in a villain. <laughs> you remind me of. And they me. only kill people who remind me of their father. My father. <laughs> So I don't know if this is true or not, but I remember reading that Rachel, Maggie, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, yeah, actually felt really uncomfortable during the the filming of this scene where hmm. he's like just circling around her uh, because he was just really he's terrifying. Like but I don't know if that's true. Well, Heath is a. I'm speaking for the Gyllenhaals. Uh, we're not necessarily close, but let's just say I've done a lot of research. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal was one of my favorite actors growing up. Um, and from what I understand, he, Heath Ledger was a family friend of the Gyllenhaals. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, because well, because Jake and Heath and Brokeback Mountain. Oh, uh, yeah. I guess Brokeback that makes sense. Um, and so apparently Maggie Gyllenhaal, like getting her in this movie, one of the reasons is because of Heath. But I do know that, yeah, Kelsey, what you're saying, I've, I've heard her talk about, which it was intimidating to have him walk around her in a circle because there was some physical stuff that Heath is doing in this movie that is not written in the script. He's like a vulture. Yeah. He's telling her a different story now about how he got his scars. Yeah, just unpredictable. We don't know. It just increases the mythos and fear around this character. It's also a funny scene about a man yelling to a woman who has no lines about the scars that are burdening him. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Like, wait, can we talk about for a second? The fight how did choreography? Nobody, how did nobody see Batman standing in the middle of the fucking room? Maybe he was like sneaking through the crowd and a people were fight. like, oh. I like that. You're going to love me. Comes out of nowhere. It's, it's a light ass No room. one's like, hey, Joker, Batman's like over there. Oh. Ooh. The knife oh, in the, the shoe. Boot. Oh, did you just break that guy's arm? Yeah, so uh, the editing, while I do like, I think it's Lee Smith. I believe the editor for Christopher Nolan movies, he has, I mean, editing in interstellar is iconic. Uh, but, it's beautiful, but some of the movies like in the Batman films, the fighting, the choreography yeah, is it, actually pretty good, but the editing is really tough. Well, sometimes it just, it, uh, yeah, yeah. it feels real clunky, a little stiff. Oh, I miss the, the line where he says like, let her go. Poor Very choice of words. Poor, poor choice, choice of words. words. I like when he just like dives off dropping through the sky. This is what I'm talking about. He can't fix this. Like he, like he needs a doctor. On well, do you, do you remember his knees in dark Knight rises? Yeah. They, he, Tough. the cartilage is gone and he's got to wear that brace. Mm-hmm. Melissa McCarthy's husband is his doctor. Okay. So Batman just saved Rachel from a, I don't know, massive story fall yeah. somehow. This is the only film where Gary Oldman has a hairline. <laughs> <laughs> the serious black, not it's he has a lot of hair, but it's receding quick. It's, it's pretty. It's, so are these all wigs? It's a then? recession. Let's just say. Okay. Are there? All uh, wigs? I do think Kelsey, the wig comment is, is right. I think there are some wigs going on. And what? you know what? You That's guys, a, can I, can I make? It's okay. Hair loss is okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. What are we talking about? 
Well, it's interesting. This like, podcast Michael is sponsored Keaton. by him. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Michael Keaton like has, it was interesting to like go back and watch like where that wasn't even something that was a problem. No, it was, like, oh. it was just yeah. part of the, the look. Um, oh, here it is. I hate LED lights. They're very intense. Oh, James, would you want to explain to listeners what's going on right now? Yeah, so Alfred <laughs> is explaining about the time that he was in Burma. And I, I bet he was. How he uh, <laughs> was looking for a man who stole a bunch of gems and rubies. A Robin Hood figure. Um, and one day he saw a child playing with a ruby the size of tangerine. a tangerine. <laughs> um, Shout out all of our British listeners. And so how did he find this thief? Yeah. The only logical thing to do. And how did they do it? Do you guys know? Uh, did, they, did they burn the forest down? They burned the forest down. They burned it. Uh, very bane because of them. Because some men want to watch the world burn. Another really iconic line. So question. Some men want to watch the world burn. Is that the thesis of the film? I feel like it's too nihilistic of a thematic uh, message. It's almost lazier than it is nihilistic. I feel like it can't be, but that just means is Alfred dumb? I'm just kidding. But I feel like it's a pretty, (laughs) like that. that's a pretty tough ethical message to tell the biggest superhero in the world. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Uh, there's no purpose for this. People are just evil. So uh, good luck. Yeah. Like what, Alfred? Because it is a like I think yeah, on the also, surface it sounds like an interesting like concept, Alfred, but it's pretty bad. Yeah, you would think that he'd be like, you know what? Like maybe you should go uh, work with some like kids who are uh, try to like yeah work with people who are <laughs> in really tough positions because then you know like let's let's talk about <laughs> <laughs> what what let's talk happening? about what I was saying. <laughs> I was saying that like he's like some men just want to watch the world burn, but he's saying that like at, like about the Joker, for example. Right, but yeah. I feel like if he's actually like a, a father figure or a mentor, he'd be like, "How did the Joker get to this? Let's yes. figure out how we can help." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's understand the systemic feeling issues like of, they have nothing. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost midnight, so listen. Yeah, guys, know. it is Kelsey very late. It's dark. <laughs> We had a full late. day too. It was ninety degrees outside. It's very hot. We spent the day. whole day outside. Yeah. We just had I just had two pieces of pizza. Hell yeah, you did. <laughs> White cheese pizza. Um we're in the middle of moving, which we've brought up on the pod before. We'll talk about it more in our mailbag. Yes. In the future. Um so it's been a pretty busy time for us. Yeah. Uh <laughs> testing bullets right now. Kelsey, what you yeah. said is totally right on. Like I think that is the weirdest part of this movie is that like you really can't I think it's basically like what you just said is some people are evil. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this guy is supposed to be a Rid- Riddler figure, Reese the Riddler, and he's found. He did his financial puzzles. More regularities in the numbers. Yeah. In the applied sciences. Reese looks like the kind of guy who's going to explain to you how you can get rich quick on YouTube. Yes. If you invest $5,000 <laughs> in crypto. In Ethereum. Have you heard of SPACs? Look at the bat car. Do you know what NFTs are? I'm Mr. Reese. How do you feel about fungible tokens? What about non-fungible? I'm more Look at the way he's guy. just listening to Reese right now. 
Also, look what he asks. He wants $10 million a, a year for the rest of my life. Bruce Wayne's a billionaire. I'd be like, I want like 7% yeah. company or something. <laughs> like, I want like some stock. And then Lucius Fox doubles down. So this is how we know Lucius believes in what Bruce is doing. Yep. He said he will punch you in the face if you ask for that. <laughs> so something that I always um, thought, and I, it was hard, it's hard to watch and like talk right now, but he basically says, like, I know what you're doing. You're giving Batman this car, like mm-hmm. the things in the basement. How long have you been helping out Batman? Mm-hmm. But then Lucius Fox responds, you think one of the like uh, most powerful men in the people saying like that country. you think that Bruce Wayne uh the most powerful powerful person is actually Batman yeah and i was like i don't even think Reese said that like i thought he was just saying that they, that that Bruce they're funding Wayne, yeah the Wayne yeah. enterprise was funding um i always thought that was a weird like, interesting i think you could take it still the the way you were going about it originally was that they, way, they were just like saying, even if we're up, funding him, he's going to beat the shit out of you if you, <laughs> yeah. you ask for $10 million. <laughs> this is where Lucius fights back. He's like, morally, I am feeling like we're doing something wrong mm. here. Um, overstepping boundaries. So now we're getting one of the most famous scenes in the film. There's been like three. I think there are three famous film scenes we've seen so far that are like pretty iconic. But this is this is one of them. This is the parade. Yes, through Gotham City. Yep. And Bruce is on a red motorcycle because he's classy, very classy. Also, this just makes sense as like a Batcave, except some Batman Year One vibes lights like come on dude like you're gonna be down there all the time you can't have some like fancy dim kilts i really hate leds i know he likes to feel tense all the time yeah this is a great uh directing right now of the motorcycle going through gotham i uh I always forget what film this reminds me of, Kelsey. We watched a film recently. It was it? It wasn't Dog Day Afternoon. That Where reminds everyone... me of this. Uh, reminds me of this parade scene, and mm-hmm. it was outside. Hmm. It wasn't Godfather. I forget what it was. It's gonna. Dang it! I'll try to remember. I know this is the hard part of jumping oh. into a podcast doing absolutely no prep. It was Mean Streets. I think it was <laughs> Scorsese's Mean Streets. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I'll have to think about it. Yeah, we did no prep going into this. So. Um. So I would love to know what is up with the all the hair on these guys' faces being so black. Like, do they dye all these eyebrows and hair? Like, I'm just so obsessed with the Christopher Nolan hair thing. Hmm. Do you guys notice that? Uh, all those movies, they're all like very, like all the characters. Are the really hair is dark, dark. The eyebrows are dark. Yeah. It's very slick. It is possible. I mean, you can put makeup, I think, on like... Yeah, there's some kind of hairspray. Thing I don't know how that on. comes through on the camera. Okay, so Bruce is. I love when we get to see. Oh, I love Bruce this when he pulls detective. up the. Well, I just love this small thing where he pulls up the the blind blinds and someone immediately shoots at him. Well, I think that it's on a timer, and so the blinds go up with the timer. Oh yeah, you're right. Which is really cool because uh, we get to see Heath Ledger's Joker yes. without makeup. 
But also we learned that the Joker is like the best organizer ever. What is that guy's name again, Kels? The guy who's from Prisoners? Oh, who's so good. The pedophile guy who Jake Gyllenhaal goes to his house. Right, yeah. David the something. The guy with the snakes. I forget his last name. I always don't know how to say it. I apologize. I loved um, Jim Gordon's face right there when he first heard the shot. Yeah, David Like putting two and two together, basically. It was like complete fear and just like... Quickly acting. Exactly, reacting to like, he knows what's going to happen. So Jim Gordon's partner acts like Jim Gordon is dead right there, right? Like, look at him. I think he feels his pulse, maybe. So what... They already put together... Did they pre-plan this? Yeah, yeah, that's what I... I, Part of the movie I I wasn't clear on. I love uh, the acting here. I loved that shot where uh, everyone, like, ducked from the bullet. And Aaron Eckhart didn't duck. Yeah, it was a great shot. He really is so good in this movie. Aaron Eckhart. It's incredible. He's yeah. so morally righteous that he is obviously also close to the edge of doing whatever it takes to uphold what he mm-hmm. believes is, you know, correct. Do you think he's the second best villain in the Dark Knight trilogy or do you think that's Bane? No. Because there's Ra's al Ghul, there's Killian Murphy Scarecrow. We have Joker. We have Two Face. We got. Bane. I think I do like him. I mean, it, it's tough because we get to see him as a character before he becomes a villain. So, yeah, I do think I like him next to Joker. Um, yeah, but I can understand why people would maybe like Bane or or some or Scarecrow. Maybe like they're they're more fun. But I, I mean, I think it's almost cheating because we don't get to see a lot of these characters right. at the beginning of their arc. We get the backstory, we get the emotional yeah. complexity of Harvey Dent much more. It's it's more effective. Yeah. There's a scene with Al Pacino and he isn't that this, reminds me of this scene right now where we're in Eric Roberts. Okay, he's going through the club. one of the mob bosses in the club. also reminds me of the Bat- Matt Reeves, the Batman. Yeah. Yes, definitely a um, shout out. Colin Farrell's. Yes, when he's going into the club. James, uh, opinion on the Batman. Do you think it's one of your favorite Batman films? Average Batman film? What do you think? You're I trying, think it's oh, the Matt Reeves. I think it's oh man. <laughs> it's either second to the Dark Knight or at least shares the spot. Oh actually wow. with the Dark Knight. Wow. Yeah, so we watched it a second time or third time. We did a live watch on the Batman about a year ago. And in that live watch, I think I said like this might be as good as the dark Knight, yeah um i think i'm there's I need one to scene it that again, holds that like it holds it back two. for me i think but i mean it is so good i think something similar that matt reeves does to this movie is that he is like you know it, again not like totally grounding the villain um of the joker and mm-hmm. the riddler right because they are still elevated but you do feel like it is a grittier more grounded uh villain yeah no totally like he was able to do that with paul dano yeah the paul dano riddler character is really special in the batman lore looking at the batman films lore but i think there were some like alfred and batman things with matt uh reeves batman yeah. that held me back a little bit no totally i think it's the worst parts of the movie yeah in the hospital specifically like they should have killed alfred mm. that was a big part of that movie Ooh, oh this the guy legs just broke his legs but what I think what works about that movie, Matt Reeves, the Batman in this one, um, 
Have you met are this the, guy? <laughs> are the <laughs> villains because they reflect the society, you know, that surrounds them, not in the movie, but in our actual society. Yeah, um, totally. And so that's why they're so effective. And that's why we connect to them so much. The movies themselves. Yeah. And uh, this is interesting because this movie f- does have a lot of like heat influences. Yeah. And it's a lot of times in Matt Reeves, Batman, I feel a lot of like Blade Runner. Yes. Um, vibes. Yeah, that is interesting, especially in the aesthetic. This moment was so dark. Yeah. Yeah, it is very dark. It's uh, where Harvey Dent Harvey is Dent saying, is I'll put you uh, your yeah, life up to chance. With the gun to the forehead. One of the patients from Arkham Asylum. Uh, Eric Roberts, Kelsey, the man whose legs were absolutely shattered a second ago. Yes. That's Julie Roberts' brother. Oh, wow. Uh, you oh, told me that before. What? And his, his daughter is Emma Roberts, who our generation oh, knows my goodness. as yeah. uh, uh, Ghostface from Scream 4. Mm. Yeah. Spoiler. You can also go back and listen to our Scream rankings. The coin flip. I had some feelings about Scream 4. That was a smooth self-plug. <laughs> uh, Scream 4 on the bottom, somewhere near the bottom of the ranking. Okay. Batman's like, I have so much time to do research. <laughs> Batman's like, here is the systemic issue with this man. I mean, it is like a, you know, I, I guess I should have said this at the top of the pod. I wish I could put it in somehow, but I'll just say it now. I understand that Christopher Nolan movies can be like pop psychology. And like pop philosophy, right. pop insert any, I don't know, academic subject, including physics. Like he's go, he, he talks about so many different, uh, different ideas about our world and our experiences with the world. But you got to say, you got to give it to him for taking big ideas and being able to really ground them up and make them really accessible and digestible. I think he does a good job with yeah. that. I mean, Tenet's a different experience because sure. <laughs> it's so purposefully convoluted. And whether you, you give that the benefit of, the doubt, benefit of the doubt or not, that's up to you because I totally get it if you don't. Um, but this movie and what he does with a DA like Harvey Dent becoming vengeful and becoming the antithesis of democracy is, I think, pretty impressive. And I think, especially as a teenager, which is who these movies are built for, even though they're entertaining PG 13 ish movies for adults to spend a lot of money at as a 14 year old, I hadn't really seen anything provoke me in, in, in these kind of ways, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you just see like the juxtaposition of Bruce Wayne and like this Batman vigilante. And then this idea of like the symbol of hope. Yeah. And you're like thinking about, um, which again, like it's kind of like, simplified but like sure. who is actually making a difference like what what um do people like care about or um yeah what is able to actually give people hope or so yeah it's it's at least asking those questions like on the surface and i think the juxtaposition is really like well done as far as like the characters and just being consistent what files is alfred burning right now like yeah alfred is yeah, burning. He's like, we got to get rid of everything here are all your tax forms Bru- you got to burn bruce is quitting batman he's gonna get he's gonna collect some bat 
Social Security. He's done. Yeah, like, he's retiring. And also, so we just saw uh, Rachel like say that Rachel. <laughs> I, I just missed that scene. Did she say she would like wait for him? Did, it seemed like it. Yeah, yeah. He, he basically said, "I'm I'm going to stop being Batman, right? Like I'm going to." Yeah. It's there's going to be an announcement, and this is going to be over, and we can finally be together. But Rachel also, I will no longer I be the got dictator. The sense from this movie that Rachel also didn't believe that Bruce Wayne would ever stop being Batman. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I did bloody tell you. I uh, there goes the LED lights. Thank God. <laughs> I really I also don't think get some is, warm lights. We need some lamps. Yeah. There's so many things going on in this movie besides like Joker too. I think it's interesting that yes. Batman is is considering like, should I give this up? Like that that's an also interesting like character tension to add to the movie. Yeah. I I guess I just meant more like the the film criticism. I mean, Kelsey, a lot of what we do on this mo- on this podcast is talk about we're trying to search for meaning in films and television where film critics will and you know aggregators will sometimes start recycling different opinions about a movie or television show and we try our best to really like understand why they're doing that um and understand the Mm -hmm. system that they're working and operating with from within unfortunately and then try to go a little bit deeper and in christopher nolan's movies it is actually kind of harder to go deeper and if you do you find yourself like sounding a little bit pretentious or or maybe reductive of a serious issue that mm-hmm. he's exploring yeah. in a movie. Um, but what I was trying to say in my like larger point about his film, something that I respect is the best teacher were teachers, all three of us and the best teachers are able to like take a really complex idea and make it super accessible and approachable to so many different audiences and identities and groups of people, different walks of life. And the best filmmakers are able to do that and speak yeah. to different groups of people across the globe. And, uh, and to do that on a blockbuster stage you know, we have our Spielbergs, you know, a few of them in American cinema, but Nolan is one of those international filmmakers that is really, really important in that space. Yeah. Like you said, he takes a blockbuster and he's able to kind of like make it visually stunning and, and, uh, gritty in a lot of ways, but then also like kind of put in these interesting ideas or yeah, sneak them in sometimes. But I think you're right about it all that, that other stuff. Well, too, I, right? I just wanted to mention that just because the biggest criticism against Christopher Nolan, I think there are many criticisms that I think are fair, like thematically and pacing and choreography and decisions and editing and all that stuff. Um, but when there are criticisms laid at him that he isn't as smart as everybody says he is, I just think there's a lot of insecurity and probably the, hmm. the kind of critiquing of Christopher Nolan um, from fans and film critics alike about like maybe feeling intellectually challenged for no real reason. Like, I don't think he's really trying to like, he doesn't see when you listen to him talk about these movies, it doesn't seem like he's a contrarian or anything like that. He really just seems like he has like some ideas that he wants to plant in a movie. Um, but somehow, somehow I do think he's turned into the film bro contrarian filmmaker hmm. like that people love. And I don't hmm. understand how that happened. Yeah, exactly. But it, I feel like it, it feel like based on my anecdotal social social media experience uh and honestly people are our age and the kids we teach i do find that christopher nolan is a filmmaker that a lot of people who who can point out contradictions about our world tend to love yeah well even i mean even like people our age too right like that's yeah. often sometimes that something that like the idea of christopher nolan's movies are like the the kind of club of 
Christopher Nolan's movies is like even something yeah. that he doesn't have control over. Like, yeah, I don't even, kind of I wonder if he knows about it. Yeah. A lot of his, yeah. Yeah. His movies with the conversation around them. Um, that's why Oppenheimer is going to be such an important movie. Cause yeah. he could really, it could go badly, but I don't think it will. I think it'll go well, but it could There's, go badly. Um, and that, yeah, I think that's that conversation that you're talking about though. Um, is something we'll definitely talk about on the like draft, especially with my feelings around like tenant. Yes. Uh, but we just missed a lot right there. I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry. Uh, Harvey Dent just turned himself in as the Batman. Right. Because, <laughs> uh, right. The Joker said he was going to like gave kill Rachel people, the coin, kill people yeah, every day until the Batman was turned in. Moral token. Yeah. We're and about then, to see the most epic action set piece. And he the, and she basically buses. went to tell Alfred, hey, like you know what? Uh, that wasn't heroic at all. And I'm never going to be with Bruce. Yeah. And, he just, and then, and then he, she comes up to him, right? Rachel comes up to yep. Harvey. He's being arrested and taken Harvey, into custody. Harvey, Harvey. He Dent. gives her the, was it the coin flip? The, yeah, the coin. Yes. Okay. Yeah. His chances. I think most importantly is all the cops were clapping for him because they thought he was Batman. Oh, yep. and I thought that was an important image to really show that Batman is just a, a vigilante a deputized citizen. I was yeah. confused about this. Like, why is there a fire truck burning in the street? Like, how are they just taking that? As so this is, is the heat. This is the diversion. Listeners who've never seen heat, check it out. Cause you're going to see some, some inspirations here, right? No spoilers. Just a, a lot of overlap here. I love this scene. This amazing bridge, scene. Oh or my in the God. tunnel. You can really feel the tenant here too. Kelsey, you're right. Kelsey, you might be right about the whole tenant connection this does feel like the most like that movie it does feel like a, a james bond mission well, Impossible, bruce oh, wayne i think i was just saying his other movies like you can feel a thread like a lot of influences from his other movies within this one but yeah well i mean visually and, and set piece wise it, do, it does have that kind of spectacle so nice slaughter circus, instead of laughter yeah. that's circus funny truck. wow the way that heath ledger shoots a gun it's so like uh, nonchalant, so unhinged. He's waving it around like a firework. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Do you guys think oh we'll God. ever get a rated R Batman movie? The bazooka. A rated R Batman movie? Wasn't uh, Matt Reeves rated R? Uh, Am I wrong? On no, that? I think it was PG 13. Yeah. I hope we get one. Well, I was just saying, like, because if you thought if there was a radar Dark Knight version, it would be pretty. It'd be grim. People would say it's irresponsible, I think, but I think it would be pretty serious. Like, it would be pretty rough. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're talking about accessibility and yeah, it wouldn't be anymore. (laughs) Reach people for an important reason, yeah, some kind of ethical question or uh, versus being a philosophical accessibility, then yeah. It would quickly turn to something else. Then the contrarian into, stuff. Yeah, right? it would it would become contrarian in a strange way. This is a great piece. Um, I thought the I recommend Batmobile was the, so cool when he did that. When, uh, yeah, when, when he, he went he, underneath, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it goes into the, the motorcycle, like position. laying on his stomach. Yeah. Um, I recommend people watch the behind the scenes of the set piece where the Joker is trying to bomb Harvey Dent's cop car. He's in the back of, and Batman's chasing them because. There's a lot of miniatures used on this set that you can't really tell when watching unless you've seen the behind the scenes, but it's pretty cool.
It's also really effective how there's absolutely no music during this entire chase. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, wow. Um, and we're just relying on all of the sound effects to create the tension and keep us up to yeah. pace. Yeah. I mean, the score in this is incredible and the sound mix is a little bit tough. Like in all Christopher Nolan movies, it's always hard to hear the conversation a little bit, but it's effective. Here we go. The bat. The bat bike. The bat bike, I guess. Yeah. Bat cycle. I think bat cycle's right. Yeah. I don't know why we don't quote that to each other more, guys. We need air support now. We got to get topside. We need air support now. <laughs> I love Heath Ledger. I like this job. I like it. Yeah. That guy's, just, that guy's eating, eating a, a baguette. You see that product placement? Was he? He's just, just kidding. He's I don't eating know a Wawa product hoagie. placement. <laughs> the wheel starts to... Yep, here we go. So... Superman exists in this world. Isn't that crazy? It, Think about what? it for a second. He does? What do you mean? Well, I mean, it's Not Batman. in this specific universe. I guess well, in the DC. Well, yeah. I mean, if we're watching a Batman movie, we have to assume that Superman exists. I don't know. Sometimes I think it's funny to think about that. That and there the, is... Here's the theme music. I love the music here, yeah. The music's great. Picks up again. Great placement. Rough. That... Knocking yeah. off the uh, the rear view mirrors. view mirrors that also happened in World War Z, and I always think of the Dark Knight when we watch that in World War Z at the beginning. Kels, the first fifteen minutes of World War Z is cin- that cinema. when he's driving through all the traffic. Yes, yeah, great shit. It looks so cool we just on this motorcycle. It's unbelievable. That. Also, what are like what's going? Yeah, what are those little two little kids doing? I'm just very. <clears throat> there are parts in this movie where it gets a little confusing about like why people are where they are. Like in traffic. And that was one of them. The kids in the tunnel. What were they doing? Christopher Nolan doesn't use much CGI, but we got some CGI with this helicopter. Kind of tough. But Heath Ledger living it up. Like I guess it's a metro mall. It just looks cool. It looks like an anime. Like a cure or something. Wow. Sorry we don't have much to add, listeners, for this. I mean, this is an epic scene. The truck flip, obviously. It is I, pretty intense. Yeah, I think this like chase is really exciting and I really like that like if there's any element of like circus or clown um ideas, it's just on the truck. It's like very subtle versus the kind of like Tim Burton and uh, like other kind of really clowny, circusy like Joker traits or like entourage of yeah, Woo, under the truck. I never yeah. loved. Just like a nod to it. Oh, the the truck flip. Amazing. I mean, yeah. It's, what this was shot in Chicago, I believe. Yeah. Wow. And then we have the bat cycle just go up a wall and flip. Yeah, I loved when he like tied up the the truck to just make flip it flip over. there. Like that line right there. We're sitting here like sitting ducks. Um, it's real. Or we're here like sitting ducks. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. So I can never tell where the Christopher Nolan satirical writing starts and or when his bad writing 
starts. Like I can't tell that sure. sometimes I see that or the kind of com- the comic accuracy, I guess. But this whole come on, come on, hit me I want is you to the do most it. I've ever quoted a movie ever. Right, Kelsey? Would you say that? I yeah. feel like we, it sp- is we scream that at each other so how much. often this line comes up. Didn't I say this to you guys today? I said hit me. Yes. In the front of the car today. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't I say this to you today? Um, I love when he just like got he's, out of the truck though originally, and he's kind of like he like uses the he like accidentally shoots the gun. Yeah, he like <laughs> can't walk and just kind of like still terrifying. Now he's skipping towards Batman. Do you guys think that the people who think Batman should have just killed the Joker are like Joker? sympathizers or something because you know how like that's a like a, a weird comic book film take that's not even a film bro thing you just see critics say that's why they don't like the batman character because he could just kill joker none of this would be happening but i've always been of the mind of like the whole point of the joker is the reason why he's wrong and why you there it's weird for people to be like he's kind of right is that if batman kills the joker he's going to create two more jokers and like that's the whole purpose of not killing the character yeah it's like literally the the idea or the thesis of the Joker movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like the yeah. totally walking Phoenix. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, I just always thought it was a weird take uh, about these movies to be like, they're not that good. Cause Batman could easily just like prevent this chaos by killing these mass murderers. So Trey, you, earlier you were saying that there, are, oh, like this is an iconic scene coming up. There are a couple. There are like three of them. I feel like every scene we're going to, yeah, it, yeah. I'm like, oh, an iconic out. scene, an iconic scene. It's like, again the and slow again. clap. Every, every scene between the chief of police being murdered from drinking his whiskey, mm-hmm. yeah, up until the hospital scene that we're not to skip ahead uh, of Heath Ledger's Joker and Two Face are just so iconic. Um, the the whole second to third act, all the sequences in between are great. Yeah. And just the Joker clapping in this cell is, is so great. A really, as he gets promoted to commissioner. Oh, right. Yeah. Here, yeah. A really like, again, the best Gary Oldman's hair has ever. Loved. And then we great get to gift. the interrogation scene soon. Oh my God. Iconic image. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gary Oldman's wife slaps him. We get it. Slap hug. Barbara. Oh, this guy with the cell phone bomb in his stomach. What is confusing is that did he predict all of this would happen or did he set up a bunch of safety nets? To get out of... It seems like they're what you... Yeah, the ladder, the safety nets. The prison? I think it's... If this were to happen. Yeah, I thought he set that up. Yeah. If you hear anything that is... Well, because he's like, I want my phone dogs. call. We should probably say we have two dogs, Appa and Momo. And... Uh, yeah, Appa's like... Appa's... Upset right yeah. now. That she's we are not. a big fan of the dark <laughs> Giving her attention. So, I'm pretty sure... I, I think, James, what you said... Makes sense. He basically created all these safety nets. It was basically preparing for multiple things to possibly happen. Yeah. 
And then we have this amazing interrogation scene. Yes. Where I guess Batman has been standing behind him in the dark this entire time, right. which is honestly horrifying. He's like, wait, he's like trying not to breathe. He's like, yeah. do you imagine the Joker is like saying stuff to himself, like by himself in the room, like nobody can see him or hear him. He's just like talking. And he's uh, like, oh, no, yeah, no. maybe he seems like he talked to himself. Be a funny SNL skit. The lighting is amazing in this moment. The good cop, bad cop scene. Yeah. Love it. It's also just interesting because he's like letting Batman in and he's like telling everyone that really they can trust him. Yeah. And then he just loses it. Yeah. And then he has like no control. I recommend what people. Uh, does to how long has he been in that interrogation room? Has he just been standing there? Yeah. And then, like for how long? People should check out Batman Returns again, the Burton film, because the Penguin Batman parallels are so similar to joker and batman in this film right else remember the in the batman returns mm-hmm. yeah the good cop bad cop routine i love um not exactly i loved penguin it was like he was absurd that whole movie go. is so zany yeah we'll talk about it never hit the head victim the gets victim all gets all yeah <laughs> Oh, see? God, it seems like he just broke his hand. It is kind of crazy for like people who have never seen Batman. They're like, what the, like this just like bat and this like Joker are like talking to each other right now in this room that we locked them in. But I love this this part. It's a great moment where the Joker is trying to draw kind of obvious parallels between the two of them. Like they're both absurd characters existing yeah. for what they believe to be some sort of righteous cause of or righteous mission. Um, yeah, it's like a thematic exposition that yeah, no one don't is so talk like one of them. Famous for yeah, and the line between the two is is thin. Yeah, the duality of man. <laughs> and then we see in this scene that Batman has like the. <laughs> Batman has the like makeup behind his eyes, right? To fill out his like suit and his skin. So his eyes are also matching his like black suit. But then in remember the Robert Pattinson, uh, Batman, he actually does the eyeliner. Yeah. I love that touch eyeliner. You have all these rules and you they you think they'll but save I, you. I guess I could see how a scene like this would or could be um, interpreted as somewhat pseudo-intellectual and a little pretentious um, because the conversation ultimately could be condensed down um, into kind of what you just said, Trey. <laughs> the duality of man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, I, I'm saying that knowing that there are so many people that honestly, just like our listeners are so fucking honestly, they're like so smart. And like when they when they reach out to us and they are like giving us like 
their takes on movies that we're talking about or they're talking about what they liked about conversations that we've had with directors and filmmakers. They're always bringing up such like nuanced points. And I'm always like so impressed with the kind of the film monoculture that is secretly still alive in our culture. And it's clear through like Kelsey and I, like the people who listen to the show and and write in. Um, And I know that they're going to hear us talk about this movie in a, in a loving way, but also kind of an intellectually challenging way. And I know they're going to think this movie is what you said, like kind of a pseudo intellectual piece of art that just made a billion dollars. Um, but you really can't point out a scene like this to me that in another movie that made a billion dollars. Yeah. I mean, I maybe agree. you can, but that movie is called like empire strikes back. Yes, Like there's, there's not many. Uh, so there, you have to give credit to something. Oh, a hundred percent. You don't have to give credit to a billion dollar corporation, but like you do to get an idea that far and wide. Here we go. All right. So this is it. Rachel and Harvey are in their own warehouse with these oil containers. They set up a really sophisticated phone system. They got five minutes on the clock. They can talk to each other. He's finally going to get an answer for his engagement proposal. I love how they stuck him in a room of LEDs. That's my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Rachel. Rachel gets like the low light lamp set up. Harvey's got the LEDs. This is such a sick cross cut to across like the, these moments that are happening yeah. at the same time, but like with the score only happening in one of them. So it's like you're watching three different movies. You're mm. watching an interrogation mm-hmm. scene. You're watching like a, a, a on, oncoming death scene between Rachel and Harvey. And then you're watching Batman drive you know, losing this game he's playing with the Joker while the score is blasting. And uh, this emotional manipulation scene. Yeah. Do you know how many friends... He kind of looks like Christian Bale there. ...of yours I killed? Oh. Six. Yeah, it's brutal. It's great acting. Yeah, it would be so interesting to see what a David Fincher could do with a movie like this. I know we just kind of saw that with Matt Reeves kind of making his own seven version, Blade Runner version of the Batman, but it would be fascinating to see what this would look like rated R, even if it would lose that universal realism that suits it so well. Oh. I wish they would have gave Maggie Gyllenhaal like one so extra scene. Brutal. Yeah. Honestly, both of these characters, Harvey's such a good character. They could have brought him back for another movie. I do love that they don't because obviously that's what makes these, this trilogy special that there's no, like if you told me the fourth movie of this trilogy was coming out, it would actually make me a little bit sad. So I was a little confused and I still am as to why he tipped that over. Did he just want it to start faster? No, he if, was trying to find. So she said, "Can you find anything sharp to like untie yourself?" It, and he was trying to kind of move his seat in a way where he could uh, like untie himself. He thought that he, he could use his force, his manly uh, ways of <laughs> maneuvering and escape. That sounds right. <laughs> it just made it worse. Yeah, there's a lot of things to call BS in on in this movie, James. I think that's 
Well, I think he's trying to escape. It makes sense. No, I mean, J- that, that James has pointed out, like he's pointed out that there have been a, like a lot of things where it's like, it doesn't make sense that this is happening. Oh, oh like I understand the, from a filmmaking the, perspective, like, especially in or, or like a choice in the well, plot. Just a choice. I see. I, you were like, he wanted, he wanted to do the two face. So, yeah. okay. I gotcha. No, but like what I'm saying is like, it's what I think is tough about rewatching these movies and doing a podcast on them is they mean so much to me. And then, in the past like 15 minutes, we've all pointed out like different things that don't really make too much logical sense. I don't know. I bought into the the oil drum thing. I'm like, I, I'm pretty like in on. This a, is my favorite Batman movie. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't worry. <laughs> I just want my phone. Call. I think that is there is something interesting, though, where a lot of people do like are really fixated on like flaws and certain superhero movies or like, um, and more critical of them for that reason, where I feel like this movie is interesting in that it's done in like a, almost like loving way. You're like, I love this movie, but isn't it hilarious what Alfred said to him? You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I love this yeah. movie. Right. Like, it's just, what is Bruce like Wayne saying right now? But you're still doing it within the understanding of this being one of the best superhero movies of all time. Oh, the yeah. body exploding is just as wild. Yeah. Quite disgusting. Oh man. It's kind of the, the original door that he went into, um, to meet like Falcone before my wrong. Maybe she's I don't remember. under the bridge. Punch a chain off a door. It's kind of interesting that the best Batman films are not, Batman movies, particularly, if that makes sense. But say that again, Trey. Some of the best Batman films aren't necessarily like Batman movies, if that makes sense. Like the Dark Knight is like a Joker film oh. and a Two Face film. Like his best films, unironically, are, are about the the best villains mm, because yes. the foil is Batman himself, yep. and so like it is like they and are it just further newer. develops Bat Batman though too. It's not just Batman showing up like the kind of previous Batman movies. Right. And those are the best Spider-Man movies like too. Central. Right. But, but having like the kind of philosophy of Joker and Two-Face uh, like further characterize Batman. Yeah. As and, a focus. And yeah, you're right. kind of reveal his contradictions, his flaws, the kind of paradox of him putting on the suit every night and becoming yep. his fears. Yeah. I also love that I, I was for sure that Batman was going to go save Rachel. You know? Oh, when we first saw this? Yeah, and when you see him open the door and it's Harvey. I didn't believe she was screaming dead. Screaming no. And, yeah. and Kels, every time we've watched this movie since we saw it when we were kids, this is this next two or three minutes here is when I I always think the movie's about to end. This scene is a callback to Joker. Or I mean, I guess... Uh, Joker's callback? Joker's callback to that The police moment. car, yeah. dog, yeah. sticking his head out. Yeah. Out the window. But Kels, this shot right here, when Bat- oh, I thought they were about to show it, when Batman's on top of the rubble. Right. I always think it's about to end the movie because I. It seems like shot. it. Yeah. I really feel like this is like they could have ended it here and it still would have been one of the best movies of the 21st yeah. century. Yeah. You forget you have so much movie left after this point. Look at that breakfast <laughs> Alfred is ready. I know. That's what I'm saying. Oh, so he always makes breakfast and it just is, goes to waste. So are those firefighters just watching Batman look through ru- rubble? Yeah, I guess so. Ugh. Alfred, right or in the wrong reading this letter from Rachel? I think 
he doesn't think that his, his daddy i guess he can like, handle it yeah imagine <laughs> someone reading your letters to think about if yeah, you can emotionally brutal. handle Why it or not doing this? <laughs> no, come on alfred alfred did a really it's really bad sad she just died though raising bruce wayne <laughs> you said he did a great job bad job oh bad job bad job he's, bruce, he's bruce the literally became parent. his biggest fear and then he and they didn't own and it then he, he took the letter it. away <laughs> i mean i i get like if he knew about it not letting him just have that at a different mo- I, I understand that at a different moment yeah um because rachel just died but reading it is strange I want Rachel to have her own movie. I'm so curious to why she likes the Kelsey said at the top of the pot, I think, but why she likes these two guys. They're so crazy. <laughs> Alfred just gives these like, I do all the jokes aside. I do love the Alfred Bruce relationship in this trilogy compared to all the other Alfred Bruce dynamics and the other Batman films. You mean the other, um, like the other Batman films yeah. besides the Chris Nolan ones? Well, he yeah. said yeah. he he became. I mean, I, I don't remember too well uh, from uh, the earlier Batman movies, of yeah, the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he was this kind of like sage um, yeah. figure or this kind of like Obi Wan, almost figure. like a wizard archetype. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to provide kind of sound wisdom until this trilogy. Um, and then what happened after this trilogy was that then, you know, they tried to write Alfred as this consistent, wise, kind of like subtle wisdom dropper. Um, yes. And it seemed to kind of lose its uh, stakes after this trilogy. That's why I was excited when they decided to take him out of the movie in Matt Reeves yeah. version, even though they kept him alive, even though for circus. Yeah. Anthony Michael Hall. I believe I'm going to sound real young. I think right now, Anthony Michael Hall, 16 candles. I'll look it up. Gotta look it up. And what, what was the role? He is the young kid i think so yeah yeah we're gonna sound super young um okay so in this hospital right now gordon's like hey listen (laughs) you gotta get it together 16 candles in the breakfast club yeah yeah he's the the like blonde kid yeah yeah oh you can tell from his like face his nose Imagine, imagine being Jim Gordon. Is, you're like the only person to come visit. And then <laughs> you're like, maybe it'll be go, go well. Say it. Say it. Kelsey, every time we watch the movie, Kelsey always, always goes, so say it. funny. He's asking Gordon to basically name him. Well, he said like, what did they, what did yeah. they call me? Two-Face. Yeah. Did you guys Probably think this two-faced. was jarring when he saw the CGI? Yeah. Or did they not show it yet? Uh, I thought it was quite... Uh, you mean jarring in what kind of way? It was good. I yeah. thought it was because when I saw it, I was like, "This is this is disgusting." This it's is... really cool. And behind the scenes, he just has a bunch of the kind of CGI dots all over his face. Right. Oh, okay. But he's like only using half his face when he's acting. It's a really great performance. Yeah, I also like that. Like we don't see it completely. Like he's 
sort of showing it to us each time. Now look at this face and now all the shit people talked about Barry Keegan's Joker in the Batman about the way he looked and the prosthetics on his Mm, face. Right. And I'm like, really guys, did we forget what this Christopher Nolan character did? So uh, I I disagree though. I I didn't really love the like the after scene. I thought that it felt like so elevated. No, I, I didn't love the scene either, but I just meant like the prosthetics of of it yeah i still felt like it was like really extra i might feel different in the movie but i know i remember we felt different about that no i think it's i know i think you're i think ultimately the critiques about that the joker aspect of that movie are right on i just just saying that it's it's always been a part of i guess it's different because the the stakes have been built around this character in the dark knight for the entire movie we know his emotional through line we know his kind of moral uh righteousness and how quickly he decides on that righteousness um and so all of that has weight that carries us into that reveal of his face totally and so it hits a little bit differently than it would if you were just to use some faces shock factor with no real emotional connection sure yeah. i think that's right good point I love this scene where Joker's just like gassing up or putting gasoline all over the money for his cut. Burning dollars. Oh, and then we have Reese going Riddler on the news. Reese. 16 saying he, candles. He's basically saying he's going to tell everyone who candles. Batman is. <laughs> I'm only burning my half. I love. I just loved this. I thought it was like so cool yep. for him as a character. I just thought it was crazy. I well, Kels, remember that's what was cool about rewatching Batman '89 is because Jack Nicholson's Joker does a similar thing with cash, like throwing it all over people during the parade. Oh yeah, you're yeah. right. Some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> it's the coolest, most like memorable dialogue or like kind of line one liner from this movie. Some men just want to watch the world burn. But it's also the most, it is the most pseudo-intellectual part of this film. Some men are good, some men are bad. Yeah, it's it simplifies like, it yeah. way too much. <laughs> and it's not and even like accurate. I really accurate. don't think it was intended from Christopher Nolan. I, I, I can't uh, yeah, imagine I don't, it was. Especially with all his movies with intentions and motivations right. and consequences yeah. and time. Like, I just can't imagine that's why he wanted people to walk away with this. Really. Especially because it's still an iconic line. We're gonna get to it. We're gonna have to clear out for 10, 12 minutes, <laughs> listeners, when we get to the ethical dilemma on the ships. But that is gonna be the most interesting part of this podcast, I think. So Joker called in on the news and he's like trying to tell listeners that if they kill Coleman Reese, then he won't blow up a hospital. Um I think he said if he isn't dead, he said basically, let me prove maybe I didn't phrase that how right, chaos sorry. is. Yeah, he said if he is not dead in yeah. 60 minutes, he's basically asking people to go out to kill Reese, then he's going to blow up a hospital. Right. So people are going to die unless you kill Coleman Reese. Is his name Coleman? Yeah. Oh. The bad pod, sir. Lamborghini. Nolan <laughs> must love. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Because he gives him such great one-liners. Yep. He's basically like Alfred to um, Hugh Jackman in Prestige. Yeah. Yeah. He was already, he was literally already played the role. 
Guys, right. I, I love this movie. It's so good. I'm having a great time doing it, this with you oh, guys. Yeah. Me too. So fun. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is great. I mean, this is a really... Jeez. This is a fascinating ethical dilemma that yeah. obviously inherently is flawed because most ethical dilemmas in Pop 101 philosophy classes are based on like an illogical premise that would never happen to prove some kind of point for no reason. Right. Um, and this is one about the hospital, but I think it's way more interesting. What's happening in the hospital to me is way more fascinating than anything happens on the ships later in the movie. The boats, if that makes sense. Like this, this idea that like, if you don't kill this one character, I'm going to blow up a hospital full of people who are already dying. It's an interesting... I yeah I mean it's still definitely like the uh, train right like dilemma like the yeah. one verse but, yeah we'll, we'll get the, you know, the trolley over, dilemma run over the Damn, one I'm already doing it. The <laughs> five or six yes the trolley dilemma it was also like the moment in God. Harry Potter when Voldemort's like hand over Harry and I'll spare all of you hand over yeah it, we we've talked about it I think in like the Last of Us like a yeah. bunch of super. Tough hero content it's kind of an like an are we annoying... doing it now are we having the conversation now yeah i did that maybe. i did that to myself yeah i guess just uh oh a conflict over and over again that isn't actually nuanced yeah you you could say that this movie inadvertently like by accident created the most basic moral lesson as a through line for the rest of blockbusters of the next 15 years in TV and film, unfortunately with the trolley dilemma. I mean, it's so, um, it was also in like Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's well everywhere. Before, but yeah. I, I just think the dark Knight one is most popular. The ships later in the movie. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll get to it. Okay. So here's, I did, I did like the scene though, when uh, he realizes that someone's in the car who has a, a family member in the hospital. It is really that's what I'm saying. This effect, this hospital part is more effective to me. Yeah, the idea as, of, an, as a dilemma. Yeah, and the um, way it's made. So Joker walked in as a new nurse uniform, and Harvey did not notice that the Joker was in a nurse uniform until, or that it was the Joker until he took his mask off. Uh, even though there was someone in <laughs> yeah, a nurse uniform absurd. with white makeup on and green hair, it's pretty hilarious. Also, I like that detail of all the blood on Harvey's left side of his pillow from laying on it to go to sleep. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Gross. He, the Joker's explaining how the mob has plans. Everyone has plans, but they're schemers. The Joker is explaining. He's not a rhetoric. schemer. <laughs> uh, Welcome to AP Lang with <laughs> the Joker. It's <laughs> so crazy. Elroy has paint on his hands. Yeah. The Joker. I guess it's from his makeup. It's a good detail. Heath Ledger did his own face makeup. Oh, so it was on his hands. Yeah. So I guess, okay, so I guess what Nolan is doing here is he's doing the same dilemma, but... One dilemma is you physically see the person you have to choose to kill in order to right. save the person you love. And the other, this, the later on, the same dilemma is that you can't see the person, how quickly 
but it, I don't know what the point is as much because the person who, when you actually can confront that person face to face, this person actually does try, this cop does try to kill Coleman Reese. But later in the movie, the people can't see one another and both ships decide not to kill each other, but they can't see each other. So I don't understand. Yeah, that one's a, a little. The connection. I think it's the interesting two for the reason we'll, I think we'll talk about it when we get there with the idea of like class. But there's sure, also, yeah. oh, weirdly like optimistic view of what I don't know. Yeah, the Joker is just like appalled. He yeah. can't believe that not one. He <laughs> wants to blow him up himself. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, bringing in like the whole terrorist theme of his character. It is interesting, but like I, yeah, I just don't think they connect the another kind of iconic line here where he said that everyone loses their minds when yeah things don't go according to plan. I think he talked about how like if someone if a soldier dies in a war um it's fine but if something happens that isn't like according to plan everyone goes crazy agent of chaos he said but yeah i another like kind of something that's inserted into this movie like the joker questioning and also this like having harvey dent uh hold a gun to his head was something that as he's becoming two-faced and like showing him the, yeah just the coin of like here's the chances <laughs> i was just laughing because now we're talking uh if he dies or lives just the pure nihilism of apathy or i guess the apathy of nihilism i uh think this scene is really well shot it's really cool <clears throat> the lamborghini zooming to protect that car yeah it's good editing i also something that's been maybe not low-key but high-key about something interesting about this movie is that the aspect ratios keep changing really frequently yeah i've noticed that and kelsey we've definitely talked about this and rewatching all the nolan films but nolan does that so often with aspect ratios he'll sometimes it's flawless but they are kind of jarring sometimes like we'll switch between different sizes pretty quickly He's wearing a dent sticker. I didn't even notice that first yeah, time. That's cool. Oh wow. So this is obviously one of the most famous images of Joker walking, Joker out, of walking out of the hospital in a nurse's uniform. Um and I think famously the explosions didn't all go off and Nolan really wanted to blow up this actual hospital they had. Uh, I don't think they built it, but it was maybe probably an abandoned building, I'm not yeah, sure. It's not being used. And he turns around trying to play with the the fake prop, the the, the prop of the bomb. Like detonator. The de- detonator, thank you. And then the, the buildings actually do go off. And then he runs into the the bus. Uh, it's funny how those kind of little movie, movie moments are so, feel so real because of the the absurdity of them, but also the kind of randomness of them that you're like, wow, that was so well written and well performed, but it was just an accident. Yeah. Another interesting thing I just noticed is that Nolan really likes to use school buses in these movies, and I don't know why. Interesting. I haven't thought about that. I, uh, we have not talked about but this, but um, maybe they haven't, they haven't revealed this yet, but Gordon trusting the police officers on his staff and them being oh yeah kind of betrayed. really the, an, an underrated 
villain of this movie are the cops who mm, are also yes. working in with the the crime bosses and and the Joker. Obviously, their their families' lives are on the line uh, in the movie, but still, it's interesting. Yeah, and then also another shout out of uh, kind of like the Jack Nicholson Joker, where he like takes over the the news and the whole city's watching. Oh wait, is this sixteen candles getting killed? I didn't realize that Anthony Michael Hall was gets killed by the Joker in this. I couldn't tell where they were. I don't know if they're in the studio. Okay, so here's the another theme. Another back cave. (laughs) Another back cave, yeah. LED lights, of course. So they're adding surveillance to this. We haven't really talked about this, but The Dark Knight and Batman Begins are sort of like post 9-11 films, not just literally on a timeline, but there is kind of a a fear of the outsider coming into your city and creating havoc and chaos and Christopher Nolan feeding these kind of stereotypes to American audiences who have a little bit of obviously xenophobia ingrained in our culture at this time. And, and then trying to teach a lesson that maybe we are creating our own idea of what a villain is or idea of what a terrorist is right. in our own country with domestic terrorism. And I, I do think that all really works. Uh, but it especially works toward the end of this movie really effectively when they start bringing in the Bruce Wayne wanting to create a surveillance system across Gotham city. I think it really works. I love how Harvey Dent just took this shot and it like fell out of the side of his mouth. down his burnt half face. Do you think our kids one day will think that this looks like shit though? I think that's uh, gonna unfortunately yes, and it's inevitable. Like anything. Yeah, any CGI from... We don't hit any kind of, what's that term called again? That kind of peak in technology? I forget. I don't want to sound stupid. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean though. Yeah. I love how he's like selling. He's like part of, you know, a company that's like selling uh, military weapons. He's like, isn't this like a little unethical? That's funny. Yeah, I never thought about that. I always think of these guys, the way they present in these movies, just like noble public workers or something, but they're all just like corporate hedge fund guys. Yep. And he does make military weapons and sells them at high price. It's interesting. Yeah. His vocal cords must hurt. Like, I know. I, uh, what is the purposeful hoarseness of the Batman growl? It's to hide his voice, right? But he's, uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's his version of Clark Kent's glasses. But Lucius Fox knows who he is. So like, why is he? Yeah, but Batman, But Lucius knows more than any of us. Imagine Lucius is like, hey, you don't have to, per- you don't, you don't have to perform so with me, yeah, Bruce. Yeah, you don't got do like, to pretend with me. Acting. Bruce. Who's Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> when I put on this suit... Bruce does not exist. I am but a bat. It's actually hilarious that he's doing the voice. I've never thought of that. I'm like, he knows who you are. <laughs> Batman as a concept is also very funny when when really trying to overanalyze and overintellectualize and overpsychologize sure. the character on this podcast. I'm also realizing that it's a really funny concept to be like, is he the only superhero who is trying to overcome their fears and then become a hero that represents their fears as a bat because I think he is because it's not like Tom Holland's scared of spiders, but it is like an interesting thing where he's scared of bats. 
but what's funny about <laughs> Batman is he's like he's not trying to overcome his fears. He's trying to become his fears, and that that is yeah. like literally the contradiction of the character, like becoming his own villain. Mm. And it's just a, a hilarious just note to the character because there really isn't any other superhero I think who is trying to become their fear. I don't, I can't think of one. I'm, I'm I don't know. I'm trying not, to. I don't know enough. Scroll through heroes right now in my I, mind. I guess Iron Man is a weapon, and that is what Robert Downey Jr. makes. That I guess is the a, Hulk in some ways. Yeah, so I guess it is. I guess it is a trope. Becomes the fear. So Eric Roberts. is great in this movie and he is trying to talk two face down from killing him. So I think these, these I see the Roberts resemblance. Oh, you do. Yeah. It must be wild to be related to Julia Roberts like that. Cause you just, no matter what you do, because <laughs> <laughs> Eric Roberts, good looking guy. And he's got like a suave vibe, but it's Julia Roberts. Nothing compared to Julia. Kills the driver. Put your seatbelt on. You're a lucky man, but he's not. Oh, he just he's in the car. I know. He just he doesn't is, care yeah. anymore. All the people on that train, like, what? Okay, so... Okay, we're getting the intro to the, the ferry. ferry scene. So what? why is this happening? People are leaving the city because there was a bomb threat? So Arkham Asylum... Prisoners. Prisoners are leaving on one tro- trolley. Public is ferry. leaving on another. Sorry, I I'm, yeah, but I'm the trolley, trolley dilemma. Trolley <laughs> ferry, the other one leaving the other ferry. But why are they leaving? Was there a bomb threat? I guess let's just say yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, we were talking during a part of this, but basically, it's set up. The Joker, I think, like had people who were working to basically like set up mm-hmm. people on the these specific ferry boats. Okay, so we can do his experiment. He calls it. Yeah, research purposes. Fox. <laughs> there, are, there are fairies and lights out in the middle of the ocean. The river. There's something going on. The oil rigs. Oh. Who got all those like barrels of oil onto the ferries? It's a great question. There's so many of them. Yeah, the Joker's got people everywhere, I guess. He really does. And then we have the detonator in the like the box that's wrapped up like a gift. Yeah. There goes Appa. Yeah, that's just our our dog. Not a fan of the of the of the trolley experiment. She does not like this dilemma. I'm going to have to go deal with them in a second. Yeah, I, uh, well, she's back. We're good. I, yeah, I don't know if this last 30 minutes of the Dark Knight 
is as memorable as the first two hours. Yeah, I, I think you're right as far as like all the set pieces and also like the, what we were talking about earlier, just the iconic, like the Joker card and then finding out that people died. And Mm -hmm. I I think there's more of a mystery Mm -hmm. in that first part. And now we are seeing like these kind of like set pieces of like, aren't these interesting dilemmas? Yeah. But I do think you're right. I do like the, the first part the most because we're getting introduced to Joker. There's heist moments. Mm-hmm. I just think it's fascinating that one of the universal critiques of Christopher Nolan's movies is that they all feel a little bit like 15 minutes too much, too long. And that could be exposition mm-hmm. or it could be set pieces or whatever it is. Um, but they continuously keep feeling like 15 minutes too long. Interesting. Uh, Inception, I really felt it on rewatch. Yeah. But out of all the movies that I give the most, like, kind of benefit of the doubt to, it's The Dark Knight. So this is Ramirez, who is trying to set up Jim Gordon because the Joker has her, I think, mother. Yes. So more of these moral dilemmas being set up oh it's two-face i forgot about that and two-face we should note has a burned suit half of his suit is perfectly burned yes <laughs> i guess he put on the suit that he was wearing when the building exploded yeah, when he left right. the hospital oh oh no no trey you were right she said that like the the Joker team got her early on. Damn. He just like hit her with his gun. But uh, yeah. uh, he said she, he was holding her at gunpoint because she said they got me early on. My, my mother has hospital bills and that's how basically they got Rachel. I am assuming. No, that makes sense. It's not that simple. We the Joker never it is. Batman's husky growl. All right, so the people are taking a vote on what they should do with the bomb trigger. And I know that, like, you were talking, Trey, that you don't really... uh, like this scene as much and I, I I like know that it is like this oversimplified experiment that the Joker is running but I do think that is it is maybe more interesting than we have normally seen in movies because there's this idea of class and like there's this facade of the yeah. one boat of people who are not in in prison like taking a vote to like kill people or not, you know, like it's this like facade of a, a more, uh, yeah. Civilized way to deal with this really inhumane choice. Yeah. It's making people feel the stakes of their vote. Right. Like literally in front of them, like they're yeah. having to, to pull the lever, if you will. Like, yeah, I, uh, I think that you're right. I think in terms of ethical dilemmas, one of the reasons I said, this is like the Genesis, I think of a lot of, 
the watered down versions of this ethical dilemmas because this one has done so it's effective um so you're saying it's like accessible yeah i think it's i think it's i think it's good yeah i just i guess i guess we're so inundated with the same dilemma now that you're kind of like are there more dilemmas because it feels like there aren't Right, and it's uh, even recently capitalized on in in The Last of Us as well. For sure, yeah. I mean, The Last of Us, like, there was no excuse for that shit. Like, we talked about it a lot on our podcast. Like, it's such an interesting story and world they've set up. But inherent to the ethical dilemma, like I've said already, the filmmaker or creative using that dilemma is often using it to get across a point about the world that they want to almost like hiding behind the social experiment. Like low key what Christopher Nolan is kind of, uh, let's not say critiquing, but making a, a very kind of pointed observation at is the idea of like voting, <laughs> not really working, which is interesting. Like hmm. everybody voting. Yeah. Uh, and I do think you can kind of find that at the heart of every ethical, ethical dilemma in recent films and television from the, from the dark night on where there is a kind of like more questionable political motivation at the heart of these dilemmas. They're not used for just kind of moral reasons, if that makes sense. I don't know if I, I explained that super well. They're not just I, used for like plot reasons, you mean? Or moral or just like, you know, pure philosophical contemplation of human yeah. behavior. They're more so... There might be something a little bit more uh, dark. personal, yeah. That the director writer is trying to, yeah, get across and hide behind a little bit, yeah, yeah. send a message about, yeah. And I think with the Last of Us, we kind of unpack that pretty fully about the yeah. kind of isolationist, nihilist theme running through that text, and in Christopher Nolan's movies, but especially in the Dark Knight trilogy there is a serious skepticism of democracy uh, that I appreciate, but it also kind of misrepresents the issue quite often. That, and, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I think he gets to hide behind the ethical dilemma for fun a little bit and gets to kind of use what Kelsey was talking about, this interesting moral juxtaposition he's giving between these people who are like these law-abiding citizens versus the the people who've broken the law. Um, and even though I think that's effective and... and productive i just think it's important still to keep holding these people yeah i mean that that's totally fair i also think that like just going back to like the at the time this came out and like the the blockbuster like huge you know budget and having like even like what he was doing here that's kind of paralleling the different ferry boats of having uh the the doctors or uh, you know like uh the duct tape is tied like with a gun and the clown masks are on them. And then the actual people who are working with him have like doctor suits on. Mm -hmm. And so immediately they are like assumed to be safe. Right. Like they're like, I he's, you know, like playing with that idea of what we consider and accept is. Yeah, no, no, that's a that's a really good point. I, I do. Yeah. I like all that. I do. I really, I think it's, but I do know. I understand what you're saying. Like it is important to ask for, things that go deeper just in general in, in movies yeah or if you unpack a little bit of what he's doing even deeper you might find something a little bit more 
the contrarian stuff of what people are yeah. worried about with his his followers or people who love his films. Again, worried about these dogs barking. Kind of a savage fight right now with the dogs and yeah. the Joker. This or, is where I think the Joker theory of him being like an ex-Marine, I don't know if it comes through super well because of his fighting style, but I do. a little erratic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now they're like both boats are just waiting because yeah. the time is about to run out. Shout out my uh, Friday fans out there who know Tommy Lister Jones, who is uh, trying to make a decision to kill the other boat of people or not. And Nolan playing with stereotypes. Yep, 100%. Really well, like how Kelsey was saying. Um, and I think in a way that is necessary. But again, I just kind of wanted to emphasize the the kind of again the kind of more questionable political stuff of Nolan's work. Batman's sonar eyes are. Oh, what out. are we doing, Lucy? Er. Lucius Fox, Lucius. All right. I do like how those eyes are like a callback to the white eyes of, you know, oh, classic wow. Batman. I didn't think about that. Cartoon. That's really comic. cool. James, we haven't talked about the Batman animated series at all on this pod, but I feel like it had to have had a large impact on this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, probably next to X-Men animated series, two of the best superhero animated series of all time. Batman Beyond is really special to people our age. Terry McGinnis. Love Batman Beyond. Uh, we have been asking for that movie since we were 12, so no one's been listening to us, but uh, really excited for the day they make that movie. All right, so both boats have decided not to blow each other up. And here we go. We have that tension of like, is he gonna the string yeah. from the orchestra playing? Yeah the the score is so good. Yeah, it's great. And also, I like all these people, just like in both boats, to get just the faces of the extras like grappling with. I mean, I'm. Maybe if I went to every single extra, I wouldn't be like, this performance is great, but they do key in on some, yeah. (laughs) Heath Ledger does a great job of legitimately acting surprised as the Joker. Yes. It's the first time we've seen the Joker, like, question his decisions or... His perception of how people behave and work. Yeah. Although I actually, um, I imagine they like cast some people like in the boat scene specifically because they needed performances of people to grapple with the idea of they're about to die. Yeah. To key in on. I I love how he, when he falls to his death, he's laughing, pushes him over. He's yeah, laughing because I guess in that moment, like he's right that the Batman like can be corruptible. Yeah. He won. Yeah. That's his goal, right? The Joker's goal is to. To try to corrupt the uncorruptible. I, I 
I also like how it's a shout out to Batman 89 because that's when Jack Nicholson fell off the roof. Oh, very true. Oh, yeah. yeah. What do you guys think about this camera turn here? I've never I seen it before in a movie. I really like it. Yeah, I've never seen it before when we saw it the first time. I think you and I are destined to do this forever. I love him just talking mm-hmm. upside down. You're not slick, Jordan Peterson. We see you. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting how he chose to use the camera in this way, not just keeping him upside down and us upside down, but to kind of show that he is a true like inversion yeah. of Batman. Oh my God, don't, if Christopher Nolan ever heard this, he'd be like, yes. Inversion. (laughs) That's what I've been trying to do my whole career. Someone got it. No, totally. That is, it is a really cool image because of that. I, uh, I haven't read the script for the dark Knight. Weirdly. I think, Oh, maybe I have, I'm trying to think maybe a long time ago, but maybe if I did, I didn't finish it. Cause I think I would have remembered how they wrote that in there. Maybe it wasn't written in there. So there's that one villain resolution, and now we have Harvey Harvey Dents, who the Joker climax, feels like he succeeded yeah. because he turned Harvey, right? So, yeah, I was not expecting this with Harvey like taking Gordon's family. Yeah, and like wanting to kill that kid and all that. Yeah, a little aggressive, Harvey. Goes full Joel. (laughs) (laughs) You could have saved her. What's great about Jim Gordon as a character and why this movie gets a pass. It's a very small pass with the law enforcement stuff. Very tiny pass specifically Jim Gordon is that Jim Gordon is like my institution is broken. Mm, yeah and i can't mm-hmm. trust anyone except the guy who wears a bat costume and even him i don't know <laughs> if i can trust him and this is the most we we got a couple of listeners who reached out who are teachers shout out teachers um and they've asked us a lot before whoever are some of our favorite teachers in movies and we're going to be talking about that pretty soon on a podcast and jim gordon is the most teacher character <laughs> someone yes. who's like you're right uh who feels like they have just seen so much shit and they're just mm. trying their best to work within a flawed institution. He really is an institutionalist at heart, but his life is just falling apart. He gets a divorce. Mm. He loses his kids. He has no friends. And the only person he can trust is a, a man child, Batman, I guess. Yeah, yeah I it's, guess so. Man bat. Yeah. The billionaire. But you're right. As far as like the kind of, like the characterization of like see, seeing a lot, like trying to 
yeah. take responsibility for yes certain things. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm. I guess I just when I see that character, that self awareness, you don't often think of, of working cops, within a police officers. You think, system, yeah. I often think of. I mean, obviously bias, but teachers. Yeah. Oh, where you, you come from? <laughs> What's fair? Batman's like, I've heard too many men monologue me tonight. Yeah, <laughs> we got to end this. Yeah, I said you expect us to be decent men in an undecent time. Yep. Yeah. So Jim Gordon's daughter is supposed to be Batgirl. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. that's right. And he, they have a daughter on the way, I believe, but their son, Robin. <laughs> could, well, they could have they could have done that with him. That's just what I thought when we ended this movie. I probably said on the podcast, but Robin's one of my favorite superheroes. Um, and the fact we haven't gotten a Robin film, superhero characters? Nightwing. I mean, the fact we haven't gotten a Robin film is ridiculous. But if we do get one, I do hope it's Nightwing. Yeah, that eyeball is freaking me out a little bit because Robin is the. Peter Parker of Batman. Like he is the one you're supposed to feel bad for a blue collar person loses right. his family. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, wow. Great. Great little kid. Traumatized face. I think I do. I do like this uh, scene with Harvey Dent and like, just watching him really like lose faith after Rachel died and just the tooth two faced villain. But yeah, um, I do agree. Like, especially now with what you're saying about the just first half of this movie is so amazing. The first like hundred minutes is really good. Yeah. And and I know I feel a little bit of the length here, just a couple like, but I, I, but I do also like Two Face. Like I've heard some people who aren't like don't love the uh, Two Face character. I like him also. I do too. I just think it's yeah. I mean, we've said it, but I so Batman basically just killed Harvey. Harvey, but it's kind of like save the, the kid. It's kind of like the Liam Neeson character's death, Razal oh, yeah. Ghoul's death, where he's like, "I'm not gonna." I don't save you, but I'm also not going to kill you. Yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah. No, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm not just going to leave the train you. now. Goodbye. I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And then it's like, no, well, you just killed. Well, you just killed, killed him. him. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Might as well have just done it. I mean, <laughs> and the same thing happens here with Harvey. Batman's just like, do you know a doctor? And when kids, when they, when directors write <laughs> kids like that, I'm always so confused. Like, have they met a kid? Like. <laughs> What did the kid say? The kid, daddy, 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 is he okay? It's like, bro, he just fell like seven stories. Give me a second. Yeah, it's all good. The Joker won. Uh, Interesting. He said, looking at a dense uh, dead body, yeah. Batman's got to be like, oh, fuck it. Come on. <laughs> Dude, I just felt these buildings. You really got to talk my about my losses right is now. crooked. Yeah, and then we have this interesting 
kind of ending yeah. that no one can ever know what Harvey Dent did because then people will lose hope. I guess for him, need a, him a, as a you figure. need a mythology to keep the hope. We need to re package Batman. Yeah. I, this is really cool. That's a cool the turning of the face. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. That's great. It also really aged well. We think about things that age well about this movie in terms of people coming to terms with the way histories have been repackaged over time. But especially with mythology, I think it's an interesting way to kind of tell that story. Mm. That's that's some Alfred uh, and whatever Alfred Lodge. Yeah. He said he had. Um, what if Batman was like, there once was a boy in Burma. <laughs> own, He's like, was it the size of a grapefruit? A no, a, a tangerine. The size of a tangerine. <laughs> I love that. I love the overlap of yeah. their conversation yes. on this ending scene, him like demolishing the bat, bat. sign with yeah. an ax and really well done. They're like, you'll hunt me. Um, Alfred just Alfred's burning, burning the letter. The He's like letter. executive decision. Alfred just freaking out right now. Bruce cannot handle this. He can't know. Everyone's going to hate him. He can't know that Rachel also hated him. Now I'm trying to think of what was Marion Cotillard's intention and motivation in the third film because getting Bane together to take the kind of Wayne the Wayne because Re- revenge because of him killing Ra's al Ghul, which was her father. But they are trying to weaponize. That's true. But they're trying to weaponize the the I guess the infringement that Bruce this kind of like this tool that he uses to spy on people, right? Isn't that what they do? Or no? They created a nuclear bomb. Is that what it was? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like underneath the the city. Okay, for some reason then I thought he ends up remember he ends up taking the bomb and flying away with it. I remember so that, ends. but I, for some reason I thought this whole the whole stress point of this movie about at the end of it is that Bruce created a this terrible system to be able to like spy on people. Uh and I thought that gets weaponized. I don't remember that being part of oh, the not, third movie. It might be. I don't I, either. I, might I, not I haven't watched the third movie in but, so long. No, no, I think you guys are, I know you guys are right about the nuclear weapon. That makes sense. This is a really epic ending, though, to this movie. When we walked to the theater, I... Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I've never seen anything like that in my life. A watchful protector. A dark knight. Jim Gordon's son, like, Dad, can I go to bed? Like, why are you... (laughs) Why are you monologuing right now? (laughs) I'm scared. Do you remember sitting in the theater after, just watching the credits and... Just taking it in, and you're like, oh, my God. Watched a movie. yeah. Wow. We did it. That we was did fun. it, y'all. That was a great time. What that was, a film. I mean, that was a thorough... We weren't kidding at the top. That was a thorough deep dive <laughs> and live watch. There was a lot yeah. of coverage. It was yeah. a lot of fun. I, I, uh, I'm I, I'm surprised because I like forgot. You know, that there's like that second half of the movie. You're like, oh, I forgot. There's this whole other there's part There's like a whole other movie. movie, it feels right. like, that happens. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm really glad it wasn't broken into like two parts or anything, though. Yeah. Because it would have been pretty rough. Dark Knight Part 1. And Dark Knight Part 2. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, uh, everyone, this is the end of our 
our yeah. Dark Knight live watch deep dive, but uh, you can also listen to our Christopher Nolan movie draft coming up with Raiders of Lost podcast in about and a week. Prep for Oppenheimer, James. Uh, before we go, are you pumped for Oppenheimer? I'm so, so yeah, excited about Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to a podcast, uh, last podcast on the left, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, I've been doing an interesting um, deep dive into the creation of the atomic bomb uh, just so I can gain better understanding of the history um, yeah. of what happened during that time. Um, but I am excited to see what kind of moral interpretations that Nolan is going to be putting out there for us to kind of chew on and understand. So we, we're just going to probably assume that he's going to bring us in with the technology of nuclear power and the great man and scientist that is Oppenheimer. And at the end of the film, mm. an existential crisis. Right. And a what have I done? Yes. Uh, drama. I am wondering how he'll Horror successfully drama. do the time jumping because in, in, you know, Dunkirk, he is able to take like a war story. And because in Dunkirk, it, it doesn't really matter timeline wise, right? It's the kind of idea of yeah this relentless Being uh, environment, yeah. right? And so t- time, his time kind of situation like works a lot there. But I'm interested to see how he'll do that in Oppen- Oppenheimer to make it successful. It seems like he's changing color uh, palettes in the film. I, I don't. Maybe even goes black and black white and white point. and yeah. color and yeah. So I, I am to see what so curious how this movie will be specifically the genre because he's been working in sci-fi so often lately in the past decade really and now this looks like a more dunkirk like kelsey's saying more of a closer to a biopic but also people have seen it have described it as a horror movie which that is fascinating um, oh, interesting. which is interesting uh because we were worried when we saw the trailer for it originally yeah. we're like how much is he going to exploit the spectacle hmm. yeah. of atomic bombs yeah. and we probably that's a that's I think a natural reaction that you probably should have as like a human right, being to yes. this kind of movie. Um, but it seems like it's gonna be in safe hands based on the coverage around the film and the way it was made and what Christopher Nolan's motivations were. Also we rewatched Tenet and they talk a lot about Oppenheimer in the film. Yeah. <laughs> which that's is true. funny. Really really like back. Yeah. I gotta rewatch that one. Yeah. Um so yeah. yeah, okay. So this has been the extra credits of the Dark Knight. Live watch, deep dive. James Steck, thank you for coming on. It was so fun, guys. Thank you for having me once again. It yeah. was a blast. Yeah, always love having you on. We'll put all the links to your work in the description of our show as usual. How is poetry going? Everything going well? Poetry's going well. Submitted the edited manuscript out to some more publishers. Nice. Um, and I'm going to create some new work this summer. I'm really looking forward to it. That's awesome. awesome. And you have the summer off, so you're going to oh, be yeah. relaxing. Yeah, go check James out in the description. Yeah, okay. This has been Trey. And this is Kelsey. Peace. Hit me. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs>